Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. On this week's episode, we're going to be breaking down all the happenings from the Latin America International Championships this past weekend, including Tord Reklev being disqualified, some unexpected results, maybe a little bit of a surprise deck in the finals, and a couple. Yeah, Mariah's <laughs> win once again, two major events. Let's go. In a row. Uh, we will, of course, have everyone's favorite segment of the podcast. Guess that flavor text. And then we're going to end off the episode this week by talking about how the meta moves forward. There are two regional championships this weekend, one in Gdansk, Poland, and one in Brisbane, Australia. So if anyone listening is going to either of those events, we'll give some insights on what's happening in the meta, in our opinion, moving forward. And then also for those of you preparing for League Cups, and then, of course, San Antonio Regionals just about a month away, there's plenty of things on the horizon still in the Pokemon TCG. And then we will, of course, after the episode, hop over to our Patreon and do our weekly bonus episode. So if you want to check that out and show us a little bit of extra support and get an additional 30 minutes of content from us every single week, you can do that over on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Uncommon Energy Podcast. My name is Chip Ritchie, joined here as always by my friend and co-host, Azul GG. What's up, Azul? How we doing, man? How was the travel back home from LAIC? Uh, it was pretty rough. I mean, I felt pretty bad Monday because I got back Monday. I left Sunday. To be honest, I, I don't know why I didn't think about this before. Like for regionals and stuff, I try and travel back Sunday. Uh, for ICs, I was like, oh, traveling back Sunday makes sense as well. Like if you make it to the finals, you know, whatever, reschedule your flight. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, for like me specifically, because I don't have to be back for work Monday or anything like that. So, but honestly, I'm going to try and probably schedule my flights to leave Saturday night if possible for ICs from now on. But yeah, I got back. But Saturday was so fun though, right? Yeah. I'm still going to do it though. I'll just okay. have, to have, I'll have to have more fun on Friday. That'll be the plan. <laughs> Saturday was a good time. No, Saturday was fun for sure. I mean, late. Like, ideally, it'd be late, like a you know, 10, 11 p.m. flight, ideally. But, sure. Um, no, Saturday was a good time for sure. Um, yeah, I got back. Yeah, Monday was I was pretty tired. Took a nap when I got back, and then I've kind of readjusted. I like what I woke up, went to bed, and woke up on schedule so far Monday to today, which is Tuesday. But I, for me, like, and I actually wanted to look this up. Like, if this is like a common thing with jet lag, or not, I feel like jet lag hits the day after. Like the first day you get back is fine, and that's how I, I feel felt like when I've I always heard people say that. Yeah, like when I went to LA, I see the first day was fine but then the day after was a little bit more rough so i'm gonna have to see how and if i can fall asleep tonight and then how i kind of wake up tomorrow i think that'll be the true tell the second day if the second day is consistent with what you want your schedule to be um once you get back then it's good but um what about you chip how was your your travels back uh not too bad not too bad i had a person next to me on the plane who kept kind of bumping me through the you know trying to sleep on the plane as an overnight flight so wasn't like the best, but um, nothing too terrible, to be honest. And for me, it's only a two hour time difference. So I really didn't experience very much jet lag yeah. going there or coming home. So it hadn't been too bad. Definitely was tired, though, when I got home because um, I can like sleep fine on planes. I feel like for just like a quick little nap or something like that, if I'm flying in the evening or if I like didn't yeah. sleep a lot the night before and I'm flying like if I have an early morning flight, like at 6 a.m. or something like that, I'll usually sleep on the plane. But overnight sleeping on the plane is a little bit different. I usually only manage like a few hours here and there, um, which is still like better than some people. I know Kyle Sablehouse <laughs> on his way to Japan. He like didn't sleep at all. He just like never <laughs> sleeps on planes. And that's like a 12 hour, 13 hour flight or something like that. 
Yeah, I'm usually pretty good about sleeping as well, but it, it can be tough. Like my flight back to the States to Dallas was like nine hours. So it's like hard to and I would like to have slept like eight of them ideally or whatever, but it can be tough to get that uh that full eight hours on the on a plane. It's definitely tough for sure. Um but besides that, uh played in the event, of course. And uh I didn't finish too well. I didn't make it to day two. Actually it's kind of funny. I can I uh dropped from the tournament. Every time I've dropped from a region or major tournament, I'm pretty sure they've never dropped me until the round after the round I would dropped in. Um once again. Dropped in round eight, but they put me on the pairings for round nine, as always. Um, yeah, every time I've dropped from a tournament, I'm always in the pairings for the next round, I feel like. Maybe, well, I didn't check like the two ones this year, but it feels like pretty often. So my last round, I got, I played in my last round or whatever you want to call it. And they, of course, I got a loss with that, but I still got points, apparently, which is funny. <laughs> like I was 4 2 2. I lost, I lost to 4 2 2. And I was like, well, I can't make day two. I already have my world's invite. So the points don't mean anything for me. I'm just going to go ahead and drop. And then they kept me in the standings. And then I hit Alex Silva, who I've actually played against uh, twice now, I think. Um, and uh, they got the, they ended up getting a, a buy against me or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then at the end of it all, I still ended up 512. So I ended up with, what is it, 60 points, which is kind of funny because you were saying I make, I got more points yep. than someone who you went 422 drop. Yeah. And you got the same amount of points as someone yep. who gets top 32 at a 1500 person regionals insane crazy <laughs> uh and as for anyone who's curious out there if you drop from a tournament you're not actually removed from the tournament you just right. you're, you don't you just sit with the points you have so like I, I see people like talk about all the time or tweet out like if i drop from day two will i still get my day two points and the answer is yes if you drop from a tournament you just are at that point where you were you're not going to be paired against anyone but you're still in the tournament so wherever you end up compared to everyone else's points you will still walk away with that placement in uh, whatever you should get championship points. When I'm saying points, I mean like tournament points, wins three match points. points. Tied. Yeah, match points. Thank you. I was like th looking for the the term. <laughs> but yeah, the we played uh, we played Chi and Pao. Um, How do you feel about the deck overall, Chip? Yeah, I felt pretty good about it, honestly. Um, and yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, I played in the event as well. Um, I'm just trying to pull up the list here. Okay, here we go. Uh, yeah, I played in the event as well, played the same 60 as Azul and the crew tested together and all that stuff leading up to the event. And yeah, we decided Chim Pao was the best play. And overall, I did feel pretty solid about the deck. Um, we had some kind of unique inclusions here with the iron bundle as a one of that was something you were pushing super hard for Azul was the iron bundle. And then we also got the um. third super odd in the list, which I think unanimously amongst everyone who played the deck, it was you, me, Caleb Gettimer, Grant Manley, and then also Grant Shin. Um, between the five of us, it was like unanimously, yeah, the third super odd was super good. <laughs> I don't know. They were talking about missing third Chi and Pao, but I don't know how you would ever miss. That was just Grant Manley, yeah, dude. Was no, uh, G Shen said it as well, and I was like, really? you have three super odd, bro. Just put one back in the deck. Yeah. Like... <laughs> I never missed Chi and Pao at all. I mean, it was like yeah, a little annoying if I prized one sometimes, but yeah, but I got heavy, heavy ball and super odd, you know? Yeah. There's like definitely many ways to make it work. Um, yeah, third super odd was really dope, especially against like the Guardi switching to like the full Avery build or the Algorand yeah. switching to the Guardi Avery build. So like being able to recycle and recover your your board state uh, turn after turn was a pretty big deal. Um, another out to uh, the hands was also pretty big as well. Like there's a lot of matches where you want to just chain hands, um, and the ability to do that is in increased. Yep. It makes it a lot easier if you have the three super odds. Um, and if and you game... ever have like an opening hand, like this deck. You have to discard a lot of cards between, yeah. you know, Vessel, Ultra Ball, Superior Energy Retrieval. Uh, you're going to be um, discarding cards. And yeah. sometimes you're going to have to discard cards you did not want to. Like, I had to Superior away a Superior at one point throughout the weekend, which was very painful. But it's like, 
you just got to do those things to keep pace sometimes. So, uh, third super rod lets you like discard your Pokemon maybe a little more aggressively than you would. Yeah. Like, there were times where if I had to, I was like, okay, I'm gonna just discard my second back Scalibur, I'll get it back if I need to. Or if you have to discard a super rod itself, it's not as bad, right? Yeah, and it was it's also one of those cards where it's like, is it the perfect 60th card? Who knows? But it's one of those things where it's like, uh, we all got some wins, I think, where our opponent was like, oh, they're down to Super Rod. And I was like, okay, third Super Rod. And they were like, what? And this was like, because nobody plays three Super Rod in the deck. So it's like one of those cards that is always nice to have. Um, uh, an adjustment to the list that is not just for the sake of an adjustment, but it like also, it's, an, it's a good adjustment that also people just won't expect. And it was kind of like last year when we played Kyogre, one of the times where we were like, uh, we added Force Recycler. Like, I beat multiple people because they were like, oh, they're down three Recycler. They can't Kyogre. And then I was like, okay, Force Recycler. And they were like, well, I lose. So um, I think we all had those moments with the third Super Rod as well yeah. at this tournament. So it's like, it's a good card. Is it the best 60th card? Who knows? But for where we're at in our preparation, we're like, well, this is where we're at. And it also is a, a card that'll catch people off guard because yeah, people don't expect that um, that third Super Rod. Yeah. Um, and then for me, I finished six and three in the event. So also outside of day two, unfortunately. Honestly, it's been getting pretty frustrating for me because <laughs> I, I don't get to play a bunch of these events because I work so many of them, yeah. uh, which I'm obviously thankful for and love getting to do. But uh, I still love to play. I still love to get that you know little taste of competition when I can. Uh, and I've played four events since the end of the pandemic, like since events came back in March of 2022 or whatever it was. I've only played four tournaments, and I've been one win a day away from day two at all four tournaments twice it was losing in round nine i think and then twice it was losing in round eight to be eliminated which was the case at this tournament i lost to go to five and three and then won my last round for you know more a moral victory i guess but um yeah definitely just like frustrating man uh because yeah. like you know i've been in day twos before i know i can but it just hadn't hadn't happened for me this time and it's definitely like i'm able to look at each tournament i've missed out on and recognize like yeah maybe could have played better in this spot could have gone for a different line here in this situation stuff like that so um yeah it's just tough but it is yeah it, the margins are thin in the game you know if you, yeah. you you don't capitalize on every opportunity given to you it's going to be hard to uh to make it into those day twos to make deep runs and it gets like thinner and thinner like every year as a, the tournament as more people are playing right yeah and yeah like i didn't have a great finish either but i still really like that i could go into the tournament my top two decks were evo zard and chin pow hands and everything we like ran through and tested none of it seemed better um and uh evo zard did win our spreadsheet overall but we weren't going into like new meta tournaments we're not as concerned with playing what just our spreadsheet spits out because we have like less information to work with what are actually going to be the most popular decks um and what are actually going to be like the overall good decks you know one thing we'll talk about a little bit later is like roaring moon where did it go where is it right um so it's a little bit harder to just run off the numbers when it's you have less data to back those numbers up or even like less of a like a solid feeling of like oh i think this will be popular i think this won't be popular or this is good this is bad so instead we kind of what we wanted to do a little bit more with this tournament is like be like let's just play a good deck that we uh, th let's just play a really really good deck with a list that we think is relatively refined and, and i had played a lot of uh chi and pow or backscalibur chi and pow hands whatever you want to call it and um this is basically my list that i've been playing with you know on stream in my youtube videos and stuff besides the third super odd leading up to the tournament so um i was pretty confident in the deck um and i i did think it was a really good play i played kind of poorly on stream in terms of not conceding game two sooner which i definitely should have done and then i was like as game three was playing out who knows if the game would have been exactly the same of course but 
I was ended up being in a pretty good spot. Definitely probably would have won that one um, had I had a little bit more time. So that's kind of where my run started to fall apart. But, you know, I can kind of put that on myself and not the deck, which is like one thing, to be honest, that has gotten like, <laughs> like just like um, kind of annoying where people like um, when I do poorly with a deck or in a tournament, people put it on the game more so or the deck more so than me. Like every tournament run that I've had so far this season, I have like something that I definitely could have done better. Like Pittsburgh, I could have played better. Uh, Peoria, I could have played better. Uh, or Peoria, we shouldn't have played Gardvor. And then this tournament, I also could have played better. But then it's like, I see people like bringing up, oh, Azul did bad with Chi and Pow, it's an RNG deck. Or um, even for like my initial two runs where I dropped the first two events, I saw people bring up my name in terms of like RNG in the tournament. So, oh, Azul didn't do well at the tournament. It kind of like proves how RNG the tournament is. The, the the game is right now but like if you asked me personally i would tell you no i could have done more way more better at all of these events based on my own choices and play so um yeah that's just one thing that i've seen recently that kind of annoys me so ask me first don't just assume things <laughs> like come into my stream at me on twitter like so far all the events that i've done poorly in there i could definitely all comes back to things i could i could have played better or like chosen better so um, there's nothing wrong with the game. There's nothing wrong with Chi and Pao backscalibur hands. You know, I, I definitely put all my poor runs so far on on myself so far. Not the not the game, not any of the decks I've chosen. Except for Guardvar. I wish I played Guardvar, but that's a little bit different, I guess. <laughs> the decision to play Guardvar was like the main factor there. <clears throat> yeah, more so than the gameplay as far as decisions yeah, yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I agree. I mean, I still think Chi and Pao backscalibur is pretty good. Um, and then the way the meta shaped up, you know, Gardevoir being number one and Charizard being number two. Like, I feel like this deck does fine against both of those. Gardevoir yeah. can maybe be a little sketchy, but like with the three super out, it gets a lot better. Yeah, um, definitely. And then the Charizard matchup is like pretty solid overall. So, yeah. yeah after like some more testing in that matchup as well we definitely all i think those two matchups i felt pretty confident i wasn't as confident in garbo but then after i played it like the third super Rod does so much in that matchup mm -hmm. for sure so yeah it was definitely felt like the meta ended up shaping up pretty well for the the deck overall do get a better run next time maybe out of it but um, the hands uh or sorry the bundle is actually super good in that matchup yeah. <laughs> too because sometimes what they can do is they can get to a board where they have a guard of war with no damage on it right 140 mm -hmm. hp so you can't yeah. iron hands it but there's always going to be something on their bench that you can either Iron Hands or Chi and Pao for two prizes that turn. They either have to push Guardi EX or a one prizer. So you can still get a two prize turn there. The bundle is just like so. I mean, you want that kind of like push effect. I don't want to call it a gust effect. It's like a push effect, right? Uh, yeah, most it's like board manipulation. Played, yeah, yeah. Most people have played um, Escape Rope in the deck. You know, obviously previously people were playing Cross Switcher, which is a little different. That's four card inclusion. So, but as far as one card inclusions yeah. go, Iron Bundle is just so much better than Escape Rope. You can find it with Irida and then you can reuse it. You can do it multiple times, which is so good. That's I definitely had multiple games where it. I did it twice. Yeah, it's definitely way better than Escape Rope. I think there could still be some debate for Cross Switchers versus Countercatcher Bundle, but four spots to basically do the same thing that Iron Bundle does is like a hard, or I guess the same thing that Countercatcher plus Iron Bundle does is like a hard, uh, hard sell in the current meta. I'm sure in certain metas, the Cross Switchers are better. Yeah. I think in the current meta, Countercatcher Bundle literally does everything that the four Cross Switchers do. Um, almost the exact same thing. Not quite exactly, but close enough to the point where it's like those extra two spots for like the fourth nest ball and i don't know what other what other stuff people were cutting like it's just worth it third super out of course would i guess be one of them but yeah um, all the other cards are like one vessel and stuff like that 
Yeah, but like you want Super Hard every game. You want Nest Ball every game. You don't even need Cross Switchers every game, especially with Iron Hands now. Like Cross Switchers lost a lot of value when Iron Hands got introduced into the deck because your KO in their active is like um, so much more just uh, just like a fine thing to do. Whereas before it was like, eh, do I really want to draw this one prize card? Now you're like almost drawing two through the hand. So. Yeah, and then overall it was like a pretty mediocre showing, I would say, from our group as well. You and I didn't make it into day two. Um, yeah. And then Grant, Grant, and Caleb all made top 64. So... You know, not terrible, but not terrible at all, but definitely not, you know, the results that we would hope to see. Um, yeah, definitely. yeah, with all that being said, speaking of people who probably had results they did not hope to see, let's move on to our first topic today. That's a transition to <laughs> to remember. <laughs> uh, Tord Reklev, of course, one of the most well, probably the most well-known player in the game, the best player playing the game currently, the most accomplished four-time international champion. He's this year's world's finalist as well uh he was disqualified from the latin america international championships i was making my way to the venue actually to go uh check out what was happening in day two and uh, i was seeing people on twitter saying stuff like looks like Tord's name has been removed from the the pairings or have, has a, a line crossed out through it on the pairings does anyone know what happened it's looking like Tord got dq'd and eventually Tord did put out a statement which i'll just i guess go through read real quick and uh then as one i will talk about kind of our thoughts on the situation toward put out a statement here dq'd from laic round three day one i played against a friend from japan gardevoir versus snorlax stall we played a long game one which we both knew would decide the series i lost the game but without any warning the judges issued me a match loss for pace of play the next day, during round 11, I get pulled out of the match during the end of the set, also without any warnings or other indicators that something was wrong, and I am informed that I am getting another match loss for pace of play. The floor judges then greatly exaggerated when speaking to the head judge. This included claims of a 13-minute turn, among other things. Unfortunately, this is escalated to a DQ because of the situation yesterday. There were multiple judges watching me, Every round throughout the tournament. Uh, and the last match, they admitted to have put no less than four judges on the task. I just wish that the judges would have been more communicative as both my opponents and I saw no issue. Just, uh, just getting handed match losses and DQs without any indication that my pace was not good enough is against the guidelines for judges in the first place. But as a player, I don't have much power. The people here in Brazil have been so amazingly kind and friendly to me, and I'm sad I will probably not return after this experience. My DQ is one of many questionable decisions made by the staff at LAIC over the last years. If you played against me during any round at LAIC, feel free to share your experience. Is that true, actually? The the second part that, that the process that was executed is not is against the rules? I'm actually not sure if that's true. Um, I would have to look at like the judge handbook probably to like, I don't know. Like, I don't know the procedures for like, now if that is true. Then that's kind of like the, the big thing that stands out here is like the procedures that the judges went about to give toward the initial, uh, game loss in day one into the DQ in day two. Um, like generally the process that I know is like, if they think, if someone think if you, like, I got a slow play warning this week. Uh, or this weekend, I get. Do I honestly? I think I probably get a slow play warning every single tournament. I'm probably on average of like one. I mean, you play very slow. Yeah, I, like I, yeah, <laughs> I need to increase my pace of play. 
uh, for sure. And it was in a situation where it was like, it was bad. Like I needed to be playing like faster too. Like, but it's just like, I get caught in like thinking it just like, yeah. And my, my warnings are all like reasonable too. Like I do just play too slow sometimes. Like all my warnings, I've never argued against a, uh, a slow play warning. Cause I'm like, yeah, I am playing too slow. I'm not doing it on purpose. I'm not trying to slow play, but like I am playing too slow. The slow play warning is warranted. Um, so yeah, I got a slow play warning this morning, warning this weekend as well. Um, I don't know if that is supposed to be like 100% of the process is like, is like warning into whatever into DQ. So, like, the one thing that I know for sure is like, um, uh, if, if like the head judge is already involved in the situation, you can't appeal because there's nowhere else to go, right? If the head judge has already been spoken to, is informed of like the situation and what's going on, there's, I mean, there's nothing to appeal to. So, like, the, I like in that situation, so in like Tor's situation, if the head judge was already involved in the idea of like what was going on and what the penalty should be for what the judges said there was, um, then it makes sense that there wouldn't be an attempt for Tor to get an appeal. But I don't, I don't know if there has to be a procedure of warning into you know, double prize loss into DQ or whatever. The I don't know if that procedure has to follow or if like things can be escalated uh, further just based on the information the judges currently have, um, especially when they bring it to like a head judge or something like that. Um, so yeah, I, I initially heard I was just in the I was in day two or not in day two. I was in the day two area just chilling playing some uh sp decks uh, from back in the day 2011 and uh yeah everyone was like of course everyone heard immediately like once it happened right like everyone knew <laughs> i think everyone yeah. told everyone word travels fast yeah and i you know checked the parents like oh yep there it is line crossed out toward dq'd uh and initially i was like listen uh toward like rides the line of of that with pace of play stuff um and i think uh towards biggest issue here with the with what happened is just like you felt like the procedure was I think if Tord felt like this procedure was followed correctly, then I don't think I think Tord would even be in a situation where it's like, yep, yep, I probably was playing too slow. I'll take my my warning into my game loss into my DQ or whatever it was. Um, but I think it is fair for Tord to be upset if the if 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 he feels like the procedure was not followed. And based on what Tord has said said in his uh, response here, it sounds like the procedure probably was not followed correctly, and things were very much accelerated for uh, you know the the situations that like had occurred. Um, which I think is definitely unfair if that is how everything went down. Because, um, like, there should be, you shouldn't be, like, you should still, like, the procedure should still be followed. It doesn't really matter who you are, right? Like, it should go into warning, into yada, yada, into yada, yada. But I don't know if, like, judges can, like, escalate that based on, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know the procedures they're supposed to take. Yeah. So there is a section hang on let me pull it back up yeah there is a section here in the rule book just about judging and i i'm not sure if there's like other things that judges have access to like if there's a judge handbook that once you become a judge you get handed but this is just what the public facing tournament rules handbook states about judging uh just under the section of judge responsibilities it's in section 2.5.4.1 of the handbook all judges must be free from bias towards or against any player, avoid ruling on games where family members or close friends are involved where possible, and exemplify and encourage good sporting behaviors. And that's pretty much all that's posted here. And then just head judge responsibility, the big thing to read here would just be the head judge serves as the final arbiter of all rulings and rules interpretations for a tournament and is ultimately responsible for making sure that all participants abide by the rules set forth in this document. So like you mentioned, the head judge involved in towards ruling, no opportunity to appeal or anything like that. They are the, the final say. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the question past that is just like, is there a procedure that was skipped 
for towards uh for towards ruling that's like the the question to ask for sure um and yeah i don't know that would be like the big question to ask but like yeah like i said i think toward with his gameplay rides the line a lot um or, or yeah, rides the line a lot of what should be allowed in the Pokemon or what is allowed in the Pokemon TCG based on the rules and what isn't. Uh, and I think if if the procedure had been done by the book, um, or if it wasn't, that is, because actually I don't know, um, then I don't think, uh, I honestly don't think Tord would uh, be super upset about it. But um, yeah, it's hard to, t- I don't know. I don't know if the procedure was actually taken out accordingly or not. So I guess like the big question I think here for sure that I have is just like, was what happened to Tord within like, the, the guidelines of how, how things are supposed to be taken care of at tournaments. Yeah. And it looks like there is, as I'm just kind of scrolling through the rules document here, uh, a section on penalty delivery. So I guess we can just read this real quick. Whenever a penalty is assessed and being delivered, that delivery should include the following an explanation of how the player's actions are not allowed, how the assessed penalty will impact the player's tournament and a reminder that the player may appeal this or any other penalty to the head judge. And that's basically it. So really nothing that <laughs> aids this situation, I guess. I mean, that sounds like it like definitely skipped a step or two for, for towards situation though, right? Well, I mean, I'm sure it was explained to him what he was doing, right? I mean, he, he doesn't really maybe go into detail here. Um, but I mean, I, he does say that uh, they issued him a match loss for pace of play. Yeah, okay, so true. They, they certainly... I mean, I think Tord kind of recognizes too. Everyone kind of knows the situation here. Like, he doesn't need to go into detail of like, you know, people know he toes the line. It feels like, right? Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't really know how. It's interesting. How do you feel about the bit? The kind of the weird bit to me is that um, it's said here that. Uh, they had no less than four judges on the task. How do you feel about having that many people committed to like locked in and watching one person's match? Um, I mean, that's like a thing. I mean, that's like from towards perspective as well. So was it four at one time or did they just always have someone watching him, which like, I think that is another I question, think, I guess. Right? I think if, if the there were multiple judges, someone... there were multiple judges watching me every round throughout the tournament and the last match they admitted to have put no less than four judges on the task. Well, I guess that means too. Well, I guess they told them how many judges they had watching them then, apparently. So, um, I mean, I think if, like, I think if the TO thinks someone is breaking the rules, if they think someone's cheating, then that seems fine, right? That's what the, yeah. that's the point of the judges kind of walking around and watching stuff is to make sure board states and game states aren't broken. So, if they think someone's going to try and intentionally do it, I mean, that sounds fine to me. Like, you're more likely to catch a broken board state. Uh, from someone you think is cheating than not, right? Like, <laughs> like it's gonna be that's the value of the judges, right? So that makes sense to me. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, the one other thing I would say on this in general is I've said this like every time about kind of the constant discussion that comes around up around towards play being toxic toward towards specifically. I always find to be a little bit weird, a little bit bizarre. Either you think toward is breaking the rules, um, and in that case, you should be be like, hey, judges, you need to enforce your own the rules of the Pokemon TCG competition better, um, or you think the rules aren't strict enough for the way that Tord plays the game. Um, and in that example, you want to be like, hey, TPCI, we need uh, better rules, more strict rules. Like either way, like those are the two things you should be looking at. And then like the people who kind of go out of the way to be toxic towards or I, I find a way to just kind of be a little, a little bit weird, a little bit bizarre. Um, you can like have no respect for him as a competitor, um, which is fine, but just kind of being neutrally toxic online is always just something that's kind of weird and bizarre to me. Like, I don't know. Uh, so yeah, that's always a weird behavior that we consistently see. 
Um, but like I said, I think it falls under like one of those two things. Either you think the rules aren't being followed and Taurus getting away with breaking the rules, or you think the rules aren't strict enough and then you think the rules should be uh, become more strict. One reply to his tweet I definitely did want to read was that of Pedro Pertusi. Of course, Pedro, one of the top, if not the top player out of Brazil currently, I believe also from Sao Paulo, says that from my personal experience, you are able to drastically change your pace of play in order to take advantage of time, which is a gray area in the Pokemon TCG. Personally, I dislike it. Don't know if it was the case, but I have seen you slow play and I think you should be punished. And, of course, Pedro versus Tord was a pretty, I guess, infamous match at this point that took place on stream at NAIC yeah. where Tord won an extremely long game one. It was the Gardevoir Mirror. I think it was round one of NAIC, maybe yeah. round two. It was early on in the day for sure. Um, and then Pedro got really set up in game number two, and Tord just basically played a non-game. He never benched a two-prize Pokemon. He was not playing to win the game. He was just playing to stall out the clock pretty much and he wasn't necessarily i i would have to go back and rewatch it i don't think he was like taking too long per action or anything like that but he was playing out the game without the intention of winning for sure right yeah yeah didn't attack ever except maybe to use like mirage step and yeah then put like a guard ex in play or whatever so yeah it was very obviously what towards plan was actually mirage no one was playing mirage step back then actually but yeah um no intention to actually like conclude the game at all that's for sure um yeah um yeah i guess like yeah, my biggest thing is just like what is the procedure supposed to be because i think at the very least like whether you think what tort is doing is illegal uh in the game or against the rules in the game and it's cheating or not like the procedure should still be followed right and if what he's doing yeah. is against the rules in the game then the procedures the, the normal procedures the standard procedures that should be followed will will get him penalized right so yeah i mean um, and w the thing from this as well is like it does feel weird that he's just given he was not given a warning. Yeah, there was never a right? warning. Um, Which maybe like, I, and that would definitely be on the judges to like, maybe the judges like the, the point of a warning pass. And instead of, you know, going over to Tord and telling him it's a warning, they were just like, okay, let's just wait until it gets to a game loss. And I wonder if it's it something that if in round three, day one, Tord should have like appealed it a little further, right? Like they were trying to yeah. give him a game loss. He should have been like, and I don't know if he did or didn't do this right, but appealed it all the way up to the head judge and been like, I've been given no warning. I feel like I have a hard time believing that Tord wouldn't have requested the head judge, which means the head judge probably was involved or yeah. they told him that the head judge is already involved and there's nothing he can do. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I have a hard time believing that Tord wouldn't have requested the head judge in that scenario. So or like, yeah, appealed it to attempt to get to access to the to talk to the head judge. So the only thing, two things I could see happening was the head judge was talked to by Tord or they had, the judges were like, no, we already talked to the head judge. This is the the final ruling. This is how it's going to stand. Yeah. Uh, the lack of the warning is definitely... Um, that's like the big thing that stands out for sure, right? Because that is standard procedure from like every other tournament ever is like warning for this kind of... For these kind of things, you know, slow play, insufficient shuffling, it starts with a warning, right? Mm -hmm. And then escalates, uh, escalates from there. Um, and then at the very end of this tour, does mention something saying that uh, my DQ is one of many questionable decisions made by the staff at LAIC over the last years. And which, of course, led to tons of debate in the comments about just LAIC and the tournament in general. I don't think we're going to get super heavy into everything that was discussed on Twitter this weekend. But um, I don't know, just kind of general thoughts on that. I mean, they're definitely... 
I don't think what Tort said there is necessarily wrong as far as like tournament rulings themselves go. There have been plenty of kind of suspect things. I mean, we talked about the Owen Dalligard situation last year, right, where he was disqualified yeah. from top cut in the seniors because they said that his dad was sending him signals from the crowd watching his game and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. What do you think as well? I mean, I this was the first time I've competed in LAIC. Obviously, I've seen all the stuff over the years, but do you have any thing that makes you feel like there's more of these type of experiences at this tournament compared to others um i mean i mean the, i don't think like some people are calling for like i see to be canceled and like bring back ocic <laughs> which i think is like pretty cringe yeah um, i will say that i think uh copag is probably the worst tournament organizer out of all of them but someone does have to be the worst i don't think um as long as like copag is trying to improve and shows improvement i think that's like the big question mark right um they're, Dude, they're how about the, worst, the line but... outside the venue <laughs> friday morning holy cow Caleb was right we should have just showed up two minutes before round one started the whole time <laughs> uh yeah so I, th I mean i think they are the worst tournament organizer out of all of them um i think they, they generally have the most problems i think as far as like judge calls at the tournament there's definitely the most interesting stories heard about judge calls at laic compared to every other major tournament and like this is like i go to every major tournament right i'm not trying to be uh i don't know, discriminatory or anything like that i go to every single tournament LAIC has the most interesting judge calls and stories out of all of them and the most constant, consistently um, high numbers of them and interesting, uh, interesting conclusions to, uh, to judge calls out of all of them. Um, so it just is what it is. Uh, but someone has to have, someone has to be the worst, right? So like, no matter how you, yeah, like no matter how you put it, someone has to be the worst. It does seem, it does seem to be that uh, LAIC definitely has a lot of stories coming out of it every single year. Um, I don't think it needs to be canceled. Uh, I question whether or not Copag is trying to improve as a tournament organizer year to year, though. That's for sure. Because um, it definitely feels like there is, they're definitely plateaued uh, in terms of, uh, yeah, it just seems like they're not trying to improve as a tournament organizer year after year. So that kind of feels bad, um, especially when you see like everyone stepping up, especially like, I mean, I was compared to like North America, but like the North American TOs have gotten so good um, that it makes everything feel pretty bad to go play in, I guess, besides <laughs> that. And I guess like EUIC is really good as well, but that's also run by uh, TPCI. So yeah, Copag, like I said. Well, it's run tournament. by TPCI. And yeah, I saw yeah, someone yeah, yeah. talk about this in uh, on Twitter this weekend, but like Tournament Center is like in conjunction with them on EUIC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's basically TPCI is running that. And um, yeah, I mean, it'd be cool to see TPCI take over, I think, uh, LAIC. I think it's a little bit, uh, it's probably not going to happen though. I think we'll probably have Copag again. Yeah, I think people like a lot. Some people were calling for Copag to just be removed and like not have the tournament entirely. I just don't think that's ever going to happen. I mean, I just think that's a bad take. Like, there's people so many don't players. realize as well. Like, Copag does more for Pokemon in Latin America than just run this tournament. Like, yeah, Copag prints the Pokemon cards and like distributes the Pokemon cards in Latin America, in Brazil, and Peru, and Argentina, all the countries down there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they do a lot, so I don't think it's going to happen, right? Um, so I think it would just be nice to maybe see TPCI put some pressure on them to, like, improve as a tournament organizer, because it definitely feels like, like I said, they're the worst, uh, and it feels like they're not trying to improve. So that's, like, the problem, really, overall. I think the idea, like, there's so many Latin American players, this is their tournament. If if for some reason you don't like something about the tournament, then just don't go to the tournament, I think, overall. But uh, I, I think it's, there's a good argument to like see some improvement out of them, but like I think some of the reasons that people were arguing for the cancellation of the event or that was going to happen was just really cringe uh, and really like ill-informed, <laughs> like just really bad takes. <laughs> so yeah, the tournament shouldn't go anywhere. 
you know, there's a ton of Latin American players. It's great that they get this big event. Like they're also like the most passionate fan base. Oh my God. Well, yeah. um, which is always super sick to see. Dude. Like um, I think you mentioned it, right? Like for the, for the seniors, finals, the seniors finals was Vinny getting the dub was uh, pretty sick as well. Oh um, my gosh. The seniors finals was ridiculous. Like the energy in the crowd was unlike any crowd I've ever watched a Pokemon TCG game in like, just chanting back and forth because it was a it was you know gabriel from uh brazil obviously who's also the defending world champion in the seniors division but then also the other kid was from chile so and there there was like uh a judge ruling going on and like all the chilean people in the crowd started doing like a chili chant and stuff like that and uh then the brazil people start i mean dude it was just awesome it was so cool to be in there and then for masters finals they all left (laughs) <laughs> because yeah. there was no brazilian or chilean player in the masters finals and it was just a super buzz kill <laughs> dude yeah i'm sorry Gabriel. i thought Vi- i thought it was Vinny, bro Vinny's a master now I yeah it was bro. one of the fernandez i was i thought it was Vinny though i but yeah Vinny's a master now so yeah another dub for gabriel gabriel's really stacking him up now yeah um yeah uh but yeah, yeah, yeah. i think i think that's all i want to say on it though yeah i hope yeah. laic is back next year if it is Copag, I hope that they just try to improve. Um, My hope is that for every LAIC in the future, that there's always a Brazilian, at least one, in the Masters Finals. Yeah, that's probably, I mean, that's probably just good for the game overall, especially for, like, the stream. Like, just, it's, uh, yeah, I guess I'm down with that as well. I guess if I have to beat a Brazilian in the Finals, that's fine. It doesn't matter who I have to beat. Well, but... you haven't been able to do it before. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think it's enough of that. We'll go ahead and move on. Let's talk about the tournament a little bit more. The results. We start by looking at the metagame, of course, um, as we not always do, but we always should do. And the day one meta. We always do. uh, Well, we get close to it. Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) Day one meta was uh, pretty stacked at the top, actually. I don't think we've seen this stacked of a top end meta in a little while. Yeah, since Um, since I think it's the first time we've had a deck go over 15% since yeah. like rotation almost i want to well, we say had, it was last scene was 16 percent at pittsburgh okay okay um, but yeah but basically yeah but two of them two of them over 16 yeah yeah the guard vor uh which basically was uh, re-established itself as bdif i think the weekend before when everyone was discovering the avery counter catcher scream tail shenanigans yep. that you can pull off with the deck now which is kind of crazy the comeback potential in guardy has just gotten more which is scary of course so i think establishing itself as the best deck in the format uh but is it a deck you still want to bring to a tournament in be- a 50 minutes best out of three? I'm not sure. Uh, and then Charizard, uh, 16%. A lot of Charizard. Um, did not do as well in the tournament overall, though, as the guard board. Yeah, definitely not as well. Um, and also didn't translate as well into day two. But there were still a couple in the top 16. Um, we've, of course, got the Chien Pao in here. The deck we played at 10%. Lost Tina. We've got Roaring Moon at 9%, and then Maridon still holding strong at the 8%. I think, like, I don't know. This Roaring Moon number is kind of interesting. I feel like that's about kind of where we expected the deck to end up, right? Super hype when the set came out. Everyone's playing it online. It's a super fun turbo deck, right? But maybe a little bit too one-dimensional for the top players to really consider. And I think it was something that... Um, you know, probably a lot of people just kind of decided against most likely early on in their testing as well, just because like you kind of got one mode with that deck. There's really only <laughs> one thing you can do and it's attack with roaring moon or splash and water energies in there and attack with radiant Greninja. That's really kind of your only options. And so 
I think that caused a lot of people to move away from it. Maybe if the tournament had taken place like the weekend that the set released and the cards were legal, maybe we would have seen some more Roaring Moons in the, the event, a higher meta share. But as it stands, I think it's probably about where we would have expected it to end up, right? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Like, yeah, the, the closer we got to the tournament, the, the weaker and weaker the deck kind of felt as a choice against like other top decks that have options, right? Like more options, the better. You got the Greninja. I think if you're going to play the deck, you should definitely play the Greninja because um, you want that the pressure of that the threat of that is like really really powerful but um yeah if you're just kind of uh want to kill my opponent's active with a two prizer like this is literally what i said about the deck dude actually i'm just like so right i was like roy moon is going to be mid it's a two prize pokemon that one hit kills your opponent's active and that's it and the same thing about golden go as well i said the same thing about golden go and yeah, obviously golden go is like it's cool and the deck's actually like one of those decks where it's like it's a bad deck, but it's like a solid bad deck, which is nice. It's always nice to have more of those in the format to have more fun and diversity in it. But um, yeah, just not and like when you compare it to something like the Maridon, which is a two prize Pokemon that one it kills your opponent active opponent's active, it there's definitely more versatility in the Maridon deck. You got the hands now, you have one prize attackers that are a little bit easier to set up, and you play path, you play Iono, like the deck has a little bit more depth to it. Uh, it makes it harder to play against something like a Roaring Moon. So yeah, Roaring Moon. Doesn't I mean who knows? Maybe what I guess one thing you can say about the Warren Moon as well, the quality of player that played Warren Moon was not the highest, right? We weren't seeing any of like the top top players in the game picking up the moon. So that is also gonna lead to um it's uh probably poorer results. Also, I think it has a really bad Charizard matchup, and Charizard was the second most popular deck. Yeah. So that also hurt as well. The guard for, actually the guard for matchup is bad too. To be honest, it's like the deck is like eh, and the meta's not great for it. I don't even think a uh, a top player would ever pick it up to be honest we'll see though i don't know <laughs> yeah, i'm thinking more about its matchups i'm like against the top two decks it kind of struggles so yeah i don't know the moon is in a in a rough spot probably for a little while and yeah i mean didn't have a great conversion rate in today too guard of oh. war did kind of surge a bit going up to 25 percent. lost tina picking up some numbers as well going up to 15 percent chars are dropping to the 12 percent jim pow about the same at nine percent mu v max that's a name I haven't heard in quite some time. Moving up to 9%. It just, no matter how bad the meta seems from UV Max, it still finds a way to hang around and find success. And then the last deck here on the graphic was the Lost Box, which, by the way, as well, something people weren't expecting as much of with Iron Hands kind of roaming around. But there were still some Lost Box doing decently in the tournament. Of course, Brennan Cameraman getting top eight, which we'll talk about here in a moment. Yeah, so the Mew making a comeback, which is uh, interesting. Nothing, not something I would have expected, especially with like Charizard being so popular. Um, but I mean, Mew's just always going to be pretty solid, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, Lostina getting in there as well. I think Lostina is favored against Charizard and Guardi, at least by a little bit for both of them. So uh, it makes sense that it had a pretty good conversion rate when the top two decks were good matchups for it. Um, you know, Chi and Pao went nine to nine, nothing really huge there. Uh, and then I guess Lost Box wasn't uh, was Lost Box on the day one graphic. I didn't. Now I'm not already forgot. It was not. Maridon was, was in that yeah. spot. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, then Lost Box, you know, sneaking in there at the end. Uh, it does say Maridon EX there, but it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be Lost supposed Box. To be Lost yeah. Box. Supposed to be Lost Box. So yeah, and then Lost Box kind of sneaking in. And yeah, like yeah, Lost Box is definitely like a big question mark right now for me because like saw some crazy builds come out of uh, come out of LAIC for it. I was gonna be curious to see where it goes moving forward. Uh, and real quick, before we start looking at some lists and talk about what actually did well, let's just recap our predictions. So we didn't have an episode last week. We should have talked about that at the beginning of the, this week's episode, I guess. But yeah, Azul oh, yeah. and I were both in <laughs> uh, Brazil. Uh, we had just traveled there. We were 
you know, getting rested up and then also trying to test and figure out what the heck we were playing for the tournament. So we did not have time. We did kind of intend to record an episode, just didn't quite happen. Uh, but Benji fam, a uh, fan of the cast and a friend of ours as well, asked us a few questions over on Twitter and we answered. He compiled it in this nice little graphic so that we could show it off for everyone. I think he needs to find a better picture of me, though, for, for the next <laughs> one. Um, so, yeah, the questions that were asked, amount of decks, including Iron Hands and Top 8, we both predicted two, and the correct answer is just the one. Just yeah, the just one, the and one. that is the eventual winner of the tournament, Yuho uh, Kalama. Kam Kala I, I heard them say it on stream, and it's not Kalama. We've been saying it wrong this whole time. Kalama? Kalama. I don't know. We messed it up. Anyway, <laughs> which comfy engine based deck will have the highest finish? We both said Lost Tina. We were both we correct. Were correct, but yeah. it was close. It was it pretty was close. close. Yeah, but I think it was like a pretty easy prediction, like going to the tournament. Like this one wasn't based on like me thinking Lost Tina is very good or anything. Uh, it was kind of just based on me being like, well, though I mean, you did want Lost Tina to be good. Not really. Right, we, I, well, it's like I gotta give his due diligence every single time just to figure out it's bad again dude Azul when we were testing was like just losing games with Lost Tina and then immediately <laughs> after the game was over okay go again okay go again alright play again play again play again lose again alright play again play again lose again okay anyway that's just the Lost Tina cycle yeah the Lost Tina cycle uh, our next prediction was player from which country wins. Azul predicted the U.S. I predicted Brazil, and neither of us were correct. It was a player from nope. Finland getting the win. Though Azul was a little bit closer. Noah Sawyer being from the U.S. getting second place. Almost, almost. Then what will the highest placing Mew deck be? Azul gave it the top eight, which I was a little <laughs> surprised to see. Oh, you were just feeling spicy, I guess. Yeah, so. a lot of my responses were kind of just trolling a little bit, but I was pretty close. Fabrizio almost coming in clutch. <laughs> Fabrizio back on the Mew grind has put the lost box down and went back to the good old faithful Mew. And uh, yeah, got ninth um, off of the top 16 in Kurochiba. Fabrizio, stick with the Mew. It's uh, definitely the way to go. So uh, close. Yeah, Fabrizio plays, for anyone who doesn't know, Fabrizio plays like, has pretty much only played Mew up until recently. There were some lost box entries in there, but. Definitely a Mew grinder for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so long. And even before Mew is Mewtwo and Mew tag team. <laughs> Big Mew fan. I wonder Big what Mew. his favorite Pokemon is. Genesect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, most played deck in day two. We both predicted the GM Pow. We also made these predictions kind of before we knew what we were going to play. But, yeah. you know, GM Pow was in our kind of top choices as well. We were refining the list. Um but yeah, we both felt like Chien Pao was still going to be most popular. Not the case, though. Gardevoir, I think we, I, we knew a lot of good players were going to play Gardevoir, but I don't think anyone predicted it in our group, at least, to be the most popular deck in day one. Yeah, I think at the end of it, we we're like, yeah, it wouldn't be that surprising. But we we're kind of a little bit more up in the air. But it was probably actually pretty easy to predict that it would have been the most popular deck in the tournament. Like the hype behind it was just kind of absurd going into the event. And we like it was pretty easy to predict. You'd be like, the Australians are going to play it. Torn's going to play it. Uh... Uh, a lot of other good players are going to play it. Like you could already like write off like a ton of players who are going to play Gardy. Um And it's like anyone who probably was playing like, like all the good players who were like playing Lugia and Lost Box before, a lot of them were probably going to play it as well. So it was pretty easy to predict that it was going to be like amongst the top players, it was going to be a ton of people playing it. 
and then it's like that's not everyone in the tournament and you know if that many good players are gonna play it there's gonna be there's gonna be that many other people playing it as well also gm pass like one of those decks will probably never be like the number one most played either it's just you know it took a while for it to grind up to like the eight nine or like to the ten percent that it was at the end of last format um it was definitely a grind for it to get there and um yeah even though now that i got the hands and was kind of a little bit more hyped up going into this format it's yeah it's still just one of those decks where it probably won't ever get that uh most popular so that was probably a pretty bad guess from us but i guess most played in day two wasn't a bad guess if we think enough good players yeah right play, right i think so that, that wasn't was kind bad. of the thing yeah yeah but it was hard to beat compete with those guardian numbers for sure and then which deck will win laic you predicted lost tina <laughs> i predicted charizard that was when you were in the peak of you know trust me bro lost tina's good bro trust Dude. me bro well i didn't think it was ever good i was like i gotta like see if it's good you yeah, kept saying it wrong. seems so good it seems yeah, like it, it should so be good. good or something i never like i never i don't think i ever called it good yeah, I, would, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't do that until i knew it was good i can't risk that <laughs> um but yeah still bad um but yeah charizard v barrel didn't make it up there either so no yeah closer, and actually kind of surprising I guess we can go ahead and transition to talking about just general other meta things now. Um, most of the Charizards that did well, I mean, the two in top 16, Pedro and William, played the same 60. A bunch of other people in day two as well. Or sorry, one other person Pidgey. in day two, Ricardo, played the same 60. Um, they were playing the Pidgeot Zard. Back on the Pidgeot Zard, not Bieberel, which had been a bit more popular. Kind of a, a little bit of a surprise. What do you think, Izzel? Yeah, definitely a little bit. Definitely interesting. I'm not as big of a fan of the Pidgey Zard um, as the the B Barrel Zard. Um, one of the big reasons is like the Countercatcher play from Guardvor. They can go like Iono Countercatcher KO Pidgeot, and stuff starts to fall apart really fast after that happens. So I just feel like the B Barrel and the B Barrel Zard has like less weaknesses. Like Pat's at the peak isn't a big deal. Um, your Pidgey getting KO'd early on uh, is less of a big deal. Because you can have like double B barrel set up way more aggressively, stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm still not as big of a fan of the the Pidgey Zard. I feel like it does have that worse that worse Gardevoir matchup overall. Because um, we were finding like in our testing that like with the, the B barrel Zard was actually going going up against Gardevoir, like it wasn't that bad. It was actually feeling like a lot closer because you didn't have like that that two prizer that's just kind of on your bench at the end of the game in the Pidgeot, right? Yeah. And then you can play things like, you know, Nick Moffat, who did end up getting top 32 with the Bieberel Zard. Something like the Vengeful Punch actually being pretty decent to respond to the Gardevoir um, is also good against something like Chien Pao as well, right? You hit them yeah. for 180. If they want to hit you back, they got to KO themselves to do it. So, yeah. yeah so definitely the, the Bieberel Zard has always felt, it definitely has felt more comfortable in that matchup for sure. Um, and I, I wonder even like actually moving forward, like with other stuff, we look at like the, you know, take a look at the top two decks or like the, the Entei deck feels like it's probably better against Pidgey than it is against like B-Barrel as well. Eh, maybe that one doesn't make as big of a difference. But yeah, the Entei Valiant, Iron Valiant deck got second. That was definitely a surprise, uh, but it does have good matchups against Evolution decks, right? And the two most popular decks were, at least in day one, Evolution decks. So getting to day two, I believe Noah Sawyer did come at come in at six to one. He did. Um, yeah, did come in at six to one. The idea in the last round, but I guess it worked out in the end. Um, <laughs> our idea in round nine. <laughs> I think you can make. I mean, listen, everyone's playing for different things out there, um, but I think it can make a little bit more sense when you're at an internationals and top sixty four gets two grand. Right, yeah. if you're just wanting to lock up some cash. 
just getting into day two, I think, feels pretty safe, right? I, I can yeah, understand but, it a bit more for this. Yeah, but Noah's good enough to get the dub. Um, of course. So. But also he's good enough to lock up 2K, right? Yeah, but I would like to see Noah play for the dub. Because I don't think, <laughs> yeah, Noah hasn't gotten a win before, but is it, this is like a uh, got a second place finals. last year. At a recent, yeah, a couple finals now. Um, it's been pretty close to some other top eights at big tournaments as well. So almost got there this time. But yeah, with the Ente Valiant, um, I mean, going to the tournament, we definitely decided to give it its due diligence for sure in testing. Yeah, we played um, it a lot. Yeah, our list was not as refined as Noah's, a little bit more straightforward, a little bit less of the the tech cards, which definitely could have made a big difference maybe in some of our, our testing. But um, yeah, the deck is definitely solid. Like that's what I, my impressions of it when I first played it on stream and I was like, all right, fine, I'll play this deck. Let's see how it does. I was like, okay, hold up. I'm winning games, you know? Um, and I didn't have the Metacham in that at that point. I think the Metacham is definitely correct because if yeah. you don't have Metacham to do the Yoga Loop shenanigans against like a a backscalibur deck or something like that i think you just kind of it's like so easy for them to stabilize which is basically the point of the anti deck is basically not giving your chance to, uh, your opponent a chance to stabilize or messing their setup enough that you kind of win the prize trade with the radiant charizard eventually right so um yeah the the uh i was gonna say yeah so it's like not a huge surprise that i ended up doing well to be honest especially once you saw how many evolution decks uh in the guardian the charizard how popular they were um but it still has its rough matchups against just kind of bigger Pokemon, which we saw go down to the Maridon in the finals. Because then it can't really... You can still trade with something like Maridon just fine with Entei, but you don't just get to kind of beat them turn one. Yeah, you got to get lucky. Hope they start Mareep and that's it, right? Yeah, then I, yeah if they open the Mareep, I guess you got them. <laughs> That'll <laughs> work. Yeah, I mean, we even saw in the finals, Yuho was never benching Mareep, just actively not putting Mareeps into play, getting him out of the deck pretty much as fast as possible and just saying, you know what? I'm going to hit my generators through the course of the game, and that's how I'm taking my prize cards. And it's kind of nice as well for Yuho in this matchup. And Noah, you you could tell when they played the finals that they both, you know, had very much thought about, probably tested the matchup a little bit, knew, like, what to do. Like, Noah w went first in game one and immediately got Radiant Charizard and pushed it as his active to try to force the one prize KO. But... With only two prize Pokemon in the deck, all Yuho needed to find was an escape rope. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Just get the escape rope and go from there. And also, like, Yuho played the three Iono. So mm -hmm. the Ente deck really can fall. As long as you're putting oh, pressure yeah. on the Ente deck, you can start to fall apart to late game uh, Ionos or even, like, early game judges. Um, no judge in this build of Maridon. I guess that's, like, something to point out. I think like that's been kind of, like, a staple of the Maridon deck. Um, but now they have the hands in there, your earlier turns probably want to be a little bit more aggressive more often um so you'd rather just have Iono's in there so it's still a disruption card for the late game but also in the early game you know shuffle draw six or put to the bottom draw six is better than shuffle draw four so to get off like those big you know turn one attack with hands or mariah or whatever it might be so more cards and did have the one double turbo energy as yeah. well in this list i mean just really looking to <clears throat> excuse me attack with the iron hands as as fast as possible really Turn one Arvin for four seal stone generator and to hit two attached double turbo <laughs> swing for two. <laughs> Let's get it. I wonder if I wonder if that ever came up. If the, but it's there, the play's there. Like as long as you open, like have, as long as you have a switch card or open the Mew or Zero Aura, like it's available. You can go for it. Um, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. To be honest, Maradon winning. Uh, it's once again like seeing Maradon do well, especially you know it has the new tool in hands. It wasn't that big of a surprise. Like looking at how the tournament broke down. Two most popular decks, not vulnerable to Iron Hands, but like Charizard 
and Guardy, both like early hands is both good against, especially good against Guardy, less good against Charizard. I'm actually curious how many Charizards they did play against what two Charizards lost to one beat. And the Charizard matchup is probably still tough for Maridon, even with the hands edition. Um, but it gives you like another early route to kind of take, especially once paired with the Bravery Charm. That's like that's like scary for any evolution deck. It's like Iron Hands, Bravery Charm, knockout. Like because even Charizard doesn't return KO that Iron nope. Hands unless they have the vacuum. So the Iron they could do that into like an Escape Rope or Boss for four prize cards with the hands, and then like maybe write you for the last two on a Charizard or something. So yeah, the Bravery Charm, the Bravery Charmed hands is like the really scary thing. I feel like. Um, I think Roaring Moon is like one of the matchups that uh, uh, Maridon struggles against, but um, Roaring Moon really wasn't like too popular um, or kind of around at all for Maridon to have to deal with. So I wonder if there's like an evolution of the meta we see. It's like, oh, Hands and Entei are good. All right, maybe I put the evolution decks away and then it's like, maybe that's Moon's time. Like going to this weekend, mm-hmm. are we going to see that adjustment maybe? Like now Moon's is like going to be the, most, the best deck to play this weekend. Who knows, right? I could see yeah. that actually. That's like I mean, a fast it was still overall like a guardy dominated tournament. And I feel like yeah. now that there's like really good lists out there, um, you know, Kieran's list who got top four, um, all these other OVIP. In the top eight, you know, many of these day two lists with and without battle VIP pass. Um, I think like I not, Gardevoir yeah, I is still going to remain pretty popular, especially amongst the top players. But I don't know. Are you really, I don't know if I want to walk into actually, that's something to point out, I guess, is, um, the top two finishing guard wars, um, uh, Jeremy and uh, Kieran, no battle VIP pass. Um, they were, I believe they're one card different from each other's lists as well. Matthew did have um, the VIP passes. Yeah, and then Matthew had the battle, the the VIP passes. Um, but I could see the I could see the meta evolving that way. Like if if Maride on hands is that good against guard war, and I mean Entei definitely is good against guard war. Like. You just put the maybe you have to add the Jirachi at least to guard or maybe you put the Jirachi in there so you don't get yoga looped and then you can stabilize. Um, or is it time to put the evolution decks down? And now we see Roar and Moon really like uh come to life and actually be a potential contender. We'll have to see maybe for this week in the meta, it's not gonna move fast enough for that to happen, but uh, definitely something to think about, which is kind of cool. I feel like we haven't seen meta evolutions like that in a while where it's like you just can't play this deck anymore. Like it was a top deck for this tournament in Gardevoir. And it's like moving forward, you just can't play this deck because of because of hands and anti Valiant. I don't think that's a bad thing. I feel like we just haven't been in metas where that's happened because it's just like everything is just really good. And then uh there's a lot of decks that are popular enough where it's like it's fine to have like a bad matchup. But yeah, I don't remember who it was. I don't remember if you were sitting there or not, but we I was talking with someone this weekend and like talking about like old people coming back and playing the game and stuff like that. I mean, the game does just feel like it's in a pretty good spot right now. Like I think Pokemon TCG is pretty, like I like this current format. The last format was pretty good as well. Like I think that it Pokemon TCG is just fun right now. You know, it's pretty good right now. I, I think, I think it has been for, I think this new set just added like a lot of cool things like for old decks and new decks. And um, it was a little bit stale before this, to be honest, but in general, the game is pretty good. Like if you're someone who hasn't been playing, you know, the last format for what was it? I don't know. We had, the last format felt like it was six months long. Um, <laughs> I guess we got Charizard, but it didn't change up that much. The last format felt like it was like six months long. So um, if you're coming in the middle of that or you're coming into the game right now, it's pretty good. It's pretty good right now for sure. Um, so we talked about the Guardies in top eight. There was a Lost Tina. I don't think anything too wild in the Lost Tina. There's a Forest Sealstone um, here. There's the Forest Sealstone. Actually, a lot of like lists, uh, I've seen that like pretty commonly um gabriel's not from japan but a lot of lists in japan i've seen that before um for sure and i think it makes sense because there's a lot less things that you need star requiem against right like lost impact is KOing most of your 
big knockouts. Jones, sure. the Maridons, um, like Charge R D one directly on both. Where you're more Sableye focused, right? Yeah, and it has the vacuum in there as well to be able to abuse that, right? Like build up to the loss on a little more quickly. There um, is no Iono in this list. It's kind of one of the standout things here. Yeah, but I guess the Force Seal song is like takes up one of those places to be like, okay, now I just go get a chorus, you know. Um, either you have the chorus, or now the Force Seal song becomes a chorus instead of having an Iono fill that slot. Like you still have mm-hmm. the Double Roxanne for the late game comeback. So Iono kind of I feel like filled the void of I whiffed chorus, but I hit Iono. But the Force Seal song is now just like I whiffed chorus, but now I get chorus. And it was a pretty popular switch card count. I've looked at a few of the lost Tina lists in day two. two one, one. Uh, seems like this is a pretty popular lineup from people is two switch cart, one switch, one escape rope. We had yep. seen people um, like Alberto Conti was playing the four switch cart. That's I think like a lot of people had kind of leaned that direction, just kind of more streamlined, but uh, having just the more options maybe works out a little better. I don't know. Yeah, there's also less loss box now, so you're not fighting against like Sableye Swarm as much. Exactly. Um, yeah. But there was a loss box in top eight. Brennan Cameraman. Uh probably the most a... unique deck in top eight, right? Yeah, that's what I was gonna or say. Like probably least expected deck. deck in top eight. Um, I don't know. There's a Maybe lot of the weird Snorlax loss box stuff coming there. around. I don't know. Both those decks are like I'm not surprised to see that either of them in top eight because a lot of people were trying a lot of crazy stuff with Lost Box and Controls is definitely a deck that I respected going into the tournament. And even that's like something Caleb said too, is like I wanna you know, when we were like talking about decks and stuff, he's like, you know, he's, he's like wanted to make sure that we respected control as a play. Um, not to probably play for ourselves, but like, um, you know, have that potentially be a factor. And like, if we have two decks, one of them gets bodied by Snorlax, but one of them is fine against Snorlax. You know, that could be like the tipping point. Um, but yeah, this Lost Zone build, uh, pretty crazy. Uh, it's a Mirage Gate heavy build, but with no Greninja, still has the Radiance Zard. Uh, and then it's got the Roaring Moon in here as well, which I had hit decks similar to this on the ladder leading up to the tournament. Um, just playing on PTCG Live Ladder. So I and I think this is what some of the players had like been playing over in Japan because um, they got the cards a little bit sooner than us. They were playing this kind of Lost Zone, Roaring Moon, EX-type deck. And yeah, there's a lot going on in this for sure. It's definitely built kind of like a comeback deck. And it's got two counter catchers. Yeah, so there's a lot. Yeah, I'm excited to try this out, actually. I haven't played any games with it. I actually, in the last round of Swiss, played against a guy who was playing a Roaring Moon Lost Box deck, but he did have Radiant Greninja in the deck still. um so maybe a little bit more something i would have expected but uh yeah sables are did get a little bit of hype going into this and then pairing it with the charizard the former Gate definitely a little surprising but yeah i I, want to try this out for sure you need like a fast way to respond to hands that's why like everyone's gone to like sables and and they're not just like sables it's like sables with rihans and double turbos or sables with mirage gates because yeah you do need a fast way to respond to an Iron Hands with Lost Zone decks right now. Otherwise, it just runs over you. Um, which, yeah, Bravery Charmed, Iron Hands. <laughs> the Radiant Sard isn't responding to that unless you have, like, a vacuum as well. So already without the draw power of Greninja, you need to get the Radiant Sard. You need to get to seven in the Lost Zone. You need to get a Combustion Blast for uh, three energy, a three energy Combustion Blast. And then, like, if you go up against it, Maridon, and they have Iron Hands with a Bravery Charm, then you also need, like, the vacuum. So that's, like, a tall order. Um, so, yeah, the deck is definitely, like, Greninja is definitely the way you want to play Lost Zone, but it feels like you almost have to play with the Radiance Art now because I have the answer to the hands, right? You can't not answer hands. I feel like that's a little bit uh, would be a, a bad choice to not answer hands. And of course, this deck also probably just gets you just lose, um, not just lose, I guess because you have the double counter catcher, but it's definitely tough to go up against like a Guardi deck with the Jirachi as well. 
but if you fall behind, which you don't really want to do, like you have to like, counter catch or like KO their Jirachi if they have it. But like at this uh, event specifically, I don't think there was that much Jirachi in the Guardies. Yeah, that's um, what I was gonna say. I don't think many Gardevoirs had Jirachi in their list. I don't um, think it's like a uncomfortable thing for the Guardi list to adjust and be like, okay, I need to put the Jirachi in. I think they can make that adjustment pretty aggressively if they want to. So yeah. it's, it'll be hard for Lost Box moving forward. Like Brennan got this this uh, top eight with this really cool build, but it, it Lost Box is going to be one of those decks where it's going to be really hard. I think for it to survive and thrive with Jirachi now existing. Um, I am a little surprised to not see any technical machine devolution in this. I feel like that card is super strong, but maybe I guess maybe the reason is is just like the matchups where you would use it, something like Charizard or something like that, you're just using the Roaring Moon to nuke that Pokemon anyway, right? Yeah, I guess maybe that is like the the thought process and plan. They're just be ahead on the prior trade with the Roaring Moon. That also seems like a, it could be a tough matchup as well. Charizard with a Jirachi in it, which I think... Pretty much all Charizards had Jirachi, yeah. Yeah, but most yeah most Charizards had the Jirachi, right? So yeah, it's just, yeah, just going to be tough for Lost Box, but it, it would be cool. Like it's, It would be definitely cool to just keep seeing these cool builds you know still show up and do well but it's going to be like one of those things where lost box is going to have to like you know solve some problems turn them into tournament probably yeah i mean there's so many possibilities right (laughs) with mirage gate with the lost zone engine so yeah always excited to see what kind of things people try to to pick up and cook up yeah with the deck um and then we've talked about the gardevoirs the only other unique deck in top eight was the Snorlax stall, the dreaded stall deck making top cut at the <laughs> tournament did unfortunately, or maybe fortunately run into the Tina in top eight, which is a pretty, pretty tough matchup with so many switch cards yeah. and jet energies seemed like it was going to be tough, um, tough here. Yeah. And actually, uh, Kato is the, the control player I lost to at four, one, two, uh, it's a tough matchup for sure. Game one, I opened Bidoof, which basically sealed my fate off yeah. the rip. <laughs> Did you stick and it then, out for very long in that one? Uh, like, I think I was your 10 minutes into the game. Like, I was, like, playing pretty fast. I was like, draw, attack, draw, attack, draw, attack with B-Barrel. Um, just like, so I could see as much of the deck as possible. And then, like, I scooped game one with, like, 40 minutes left. And I was like, okay, here we go. Because uh, I knew one of the games following up, I'd have to, like, literally donk to basically win. So I was like, okay, if I can win a long game two and then donk on game three or something, that'll be, like, my my route but it's like let me see as much of the deck as i possibly can so i know what sure. i have to play around there was nothing like too surprising in this though i don't think just like a good Snorlax control uh build um but yeah i knew things were like i was like maybe i can like two ko enough Snorlaxes with b barrel if i get lucky enough with the it's a pretty the tough attack. matchup for our deck but then yeah then the luxurious cape came down i was like uh, all right maybe not <laughs> <laughs> three hit a snorlax the penny's gonna get involved a couple times like and you gotta be flipping to heads <laughs> yeah and i gotta be flipping heads so yeah um and then game two i didn't get like you have to get like turn two candy backs and then attack with the back scalibur or be attacking with chien pao and i did not get that i got iono turn two and my hand was terrible. So was not able to get a can- an aggressive candy back scalibur at all. And things fell apart really, really fast, unfortunately. But, you know, it was one of those sets where it's like, I, I uh, wasn't too mad at it. Like, my, I basically knew my fate after game one, after I opened the beat up. I was like, well, this is probably not going to go my way, which is fine. Um, but yeah, I, like you said, uh, it's definitely a deck that we respected going to the tournament. And um, seeing it make top eight, not really a huge surprise. It got some good matchups. It got some bad matchups, though. Like you said, hit that lost Tina. And uh, got taken out pretty handedly, I think. I remember watching like the end of the second game or something. And I was like, there was no way yeah. the, the Snorlax was ever getting the dub in that situation. 
Um, also, I do want to just say, I mean, this is kind of something we had talked about too, is that the stall decks thrive when they play against like uh, weaker players, people who like aren't experienced, don't know what to do. Yeah. Kaito kind of had to run a little bit of a gauntlet here, you know, hit yeah. Cord in round three, Fabrizio in round five, Kieran in round seven, you in round eight. Uh, Natalie Miller in round 12 is, I mean, like just tons of good players who definitely know how to play versus control decks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that was something you kind of mentioned when we talked about this deck a couple weeks ago is like Snorlax stall in the previous format was pretty easy for a good player to just be able to beat because if you just played around everything you knew they could have, you'd be fine. But then once they got Erica's invitation and then now counter catchers and stuff like that, it's just, they have more active win conditions, right? Even against a really good player, they can find that way to win. Well, yeah, it's more like, yeah, their win conditions are the same, but now it's like, instead of getting yeah, yeah. lost on turn two, you're getting counter catcher misfortune sisters. And now you're losing your resources more aggressively. Yeah. yeah, it's just like, yeah, they're able to do everything way more aggressively. Their win condition is still the same, but now they're like winning at a much higher rate or a much faster rate. So, yeah. Yeah, it can be uh, it, the deck's good. The deck is definitely good. It's got, but it's one of those decks where it's like, I think if anyone wants to beat it, you know, stuff like Turo and Guardi's really good, stuff like that, or just play a deck that just beats it. There's decks that, yeah. decks that definitely just beat control. It can be uh, boxed out of the meta pretty aggressively, but uh, definitely something you have to respect moving forward. I think I think it has to be on the mind of like, all right, it's not like one of those things where it's like I don't have to like even like worry about you know potentially beating control. Now now it should be like basically consider every turn. It's like, okay, do I want to take the loss of control or not, and then. Yeah, make that call uh, the day before a tournament. Yeah, and you mentioned like the Turo and Guardi. Kieran played the Turo and the Palpad, right? Yep, so yeah, Turo and Palpad. Kieran was able to get the win in round seven and tied in round fourteen. So mm -hmm. otherwise, it seems like Guardi was a pretty good matchup overall for. Uh, yeah, also had collapsed as well. Like another one, another card to shout out there like that. Kieran had Turo collapsed oh, yeah, 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 and yeah, Palpad. Yeah. Going to give you. I don't even know how good collapsed is though. Well, it allows matchup. you to like if they like uh oh that's true they go replace stadium much. echoing horn right yeah because it's all going to be the same anyways oh but I, I, uh, yeah i guess it would just only be if you, you collapse open. super odd i guess yeah collapse super odd yeah i guess maybe it doesn't matter as much as i thought it could in the matchup yeah i guess it matter too much yeah yeah um oh it allows you to get your energy back that's what it does like if you fill your board with like uh all the teleportation bursts plus like guardi uh shiny arcana plus guardi x plus Cresselia, you can then collapse away one of the things that has three energy and then get the energy back and put it somewhere else if they trap something else in the active. So it's like a nice tool to have. Because that's kind of like the loss. That's kind of their play is like if the, if the bench does get filled with things that can't be gusted trapped, then you can kind of keep gusting stuff up as the Snorlax control player and hope something sticks. But I know I had a and reason why I thought the collapse was good. We did see a Mew in the top 16 bubbling out, bubbling or just on the bubble, I guess. I think yeah, it was a know. bubble in situation, right? Um, was it a 34 that squeaked yeah, in? 34 yeah. got in. There's two yeah. 34s that got in, I think. Always. Yeah, two 34s got in. Not um, easier, though. But yeah, and it is just kind of a straightforward DTE Mew. Yeah. Double box of disasters. Pretty decent in the Gardevoir matchup, right? Gardevoir being super popular. Mm -hmm. Judge Grabber Path is annoying for basically everything in the format, so... Not really surprised to see someone be able to pick this up and make a deep run at it. Had a shot uh, to get into top cut. The box of disaster is also like a big deal against the Roaring Moon matchup, actually, because you can like mm -hmm. start to run out of power tablets. So if you get the box on the first Mew and they KO that with a the moon, then you can respond pretty aggressively to KO that moon. 
um, and kind of take over from there. Hopefully, it's still a tough matchup, but um, it like gives you like a little bit more to work with. And yeah, like it's really good in the guard room matchup, obviously. So it's like the main reason to um, to play it. Um, you can also do some cheesy stuff with psychic leap against like Drapion, but um, yeah, Fabrizio back at it with me. Only three cram that definitely stands out to me. We haven't seen. I've seen it before. <laughs> always try about the three cram. It always feels questionable, but cram's like you know you'd rather just have cards sometimes than have to flip for a card, right? So. Maybe the trade-off is like, yeah, maybe the, I'd rather just have two box of disaster than, you know, an extra cram or something like that. So I don't they have the Avery in here as well. Really strong against Guardi. And yeah. also good against, I mean, good against a lot of things, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, Chi and Pow, I guess, is like a another standout one that's really good. No against. counter catcher, no Turo. That's kind of two new cards I would have thought to maybe see pop up in some Mew decks. Yeah. Counter catcher is interesting because you generally want to be ahead as Mew. Like there's never a situation where you really are want to be behind. I mean, no deck wants to be behind, but some decks like Guardian, like they know they're going to be behind. Um, and Muse, one of those decks where you're not trying to be behind because you're either trying to be go first and like take the th first knock on your second turn, or you're trying to judge path your opponent and hope they don't do anything on their turn. So, yeah, and it makes sense to probably not include that one. The Turo, like, is kind of like a, a card where it's like, do I want to beat Sonax Control? I think, right? It's like, if you do, like, it's good in other situations as well, but I think the main driving factor behind adding the Turo would be, am I trying to beat the controls? And it looks like a because I think it's pretty tough without it. Um, not impossible, but tough. I don't know, man. I mean, I ju going just judge pass. That's true. Judge knockout is not bad. They, and they grabber too. Like they don't play that many Pokemon, but true, you just true. Catch them with one. You do have three switch cards, and you're pretty good at seeing cards. So, yeah, maybe that is enough. Maybe that is enough. I feel like it's got to be decent. I don't know. Um, uh, and then in the top sixteen as well, we had last uh, mention. The Rapid Strike Urshifu here, definitely interesting. Uh, another name we haven't heard in quite some time, it feels like. I mean, like, at least in, <laughs> as far as this format is concerned, right? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, no really it was very popular it. in the last format, but almost nobody talked about it in this format. You know, why are we using Intellian and Water Energies, all this stuff, when you can just use Iron Valiant? You get to do almost the same thing, but it turns out Intellian is still pretty decent if the meta yeah. is kind of a lot of the same decks. Yeah, I actually really like the idea of Rapid Strike right now, to be honest. Um yeah, the idea of it's really, really cool. The de-evolution is a new addition to the deck that can be interesting, especially in, like, the guard board matchup. They set themselves up. They damage themselves. You de-evolve them. That's kind of cool. Turo's really good in the deck for sure now. Uh, one of the things that... It's, big, better, it's, like, basically Cheryl, but better, right? Just more options. All right, so there was um, a guy who played on stream in day one that had that was playing Rapid Strike, uh, and he was playing this Remoraid as well. Tank. It's not a rapid strike Pokemon though. The tank. Yeah. HP. <laughs> I just don't know, man. I don't Honestly, know. Honestly, if you go up against an Iron Valiant deck, you probably just shouldn't put Remorade in play at all. Whether you got the tank or not, you probably just shouldn't put Remorade in play. Just leave it in the deck. We're going to work with our two and three prizers. Let's, uh, we'll cook that way. Yeah. yeah. So honestly, yeah, you probably should. But like, I was just so, I, I saw this card. Yeah, but are like you ever using Octillery for Remoraid? In this person's hand, and I was like, what is that card in their hand? It's a Remoraid. Are you ever using Octillery to find Remoraid? Sometimes you do, sometimes like as Ultra Ball fodder, but like your Remoraid has to come first, anyways. Well, dude, right? It's so... a retreat with Tower of Waters. That's like probably the biggest reason. Oh, I didn't even That's think gotta about be it. The biggest reason. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, true, 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 true. Okay, okay. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, but I, honestly, I like the idea of Rapid Strike right now for sure. Um, definitely intrigued by it. Definitely a deck that I'm going to put some time into. 
between now and uh, San Antonio, which is they have the be... squawkability and the researches as well. Yeah, those seems to become like no the staple done. way to play it towards the end of last format. I don't right. know if that's like you have to, but it does feel like the meta is probably a little bit more aggressive, and you probably want that more aggressive angle. Turo over the Cheryl currently. I kind of just said that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so I think Turo is just better than Cheryl. Like yeah, Cheryl yeah. does allow you to keep yourself evolved in play, but Turo. One of the things that you could lose to with this deck is literally your Alakazam getting gusted. But now Turo plus Palpad pretty aggressively eliminates that, I feel like, as like a threat. And then it still like heals a three-prize Pokemon, which is the goal of, Tur of a Cheryl in the past. And then this also is probably the deck that does best use Technical Machine Devolution as well. Because, it might be, yeah. I mean, something like Lost Box, it seems good in, right? But you have to go spread with Sableye, next turn, Devolution. But with this deck, what you can do is just, you know, Intellion, snipe a bunch of damage, Alakazam move things around as well, then go with the devolution all in the same turn. Definitely seems much, yeah. much stronger. Yeah, I agree. This deck seems like actually really good right now. I mean, we talked about last format. You know, this deck's best matchups were things like the Gardevoirs and the Lost Boxes. And then you could be, if Charizard got established, I feel like Charizard was pretty decent in the matchup. Yeah, I'm not um, sure about. I'm still not sure about that matchup of that versus Charizard. I don't know, man. But it just, yeah, if they get a Charizard in play. It just seems so hard. I mean, now you have the Devolution thing, though. So you that can, is like, true. That is true. For one forty, special damage on the bench. With those decks being the most popular ones, maybe Rapid Strike is just the Time. truth right now. Broken deck, broken deck, and also your Murata matchup historically has always look been at these good. matchups. Um. <laughs> he beat. Lost Boxes, Gardevoirs, Charizards. Bodied by Mew. <laughs> bodied by two Mews and a Roaring Moon, which all seem yeah. like terrible matchups. <laughs> well, I don't know about Roaring Moon, because you can if they want to KO a three project, they you have you they have to give you Yoga Loop. Yeah. So, but they I'm not have sure to do about, it twice. That's true. It's probably they're also a really aggressive deck, and yeah. sometimes Rapid Strike draws a little slow. So it's probably probably tough overall. Yeah, did what it was supposed to do. That's for sure, right? Like <laughs> losing to Mew and beating yep. the other stuff, kind of. Yeah, that's sick. a yeah. Did what it was supposed to do. Lose to Mew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we talked about the couple Charizard decks in top sixteen. I did want to talk about the uh, Maridon Fluffy oh, yeah. deck from Anil here, Anel, who uh, got top sixteen. I actually lost to this player in day one with really turbo Iron Hands. Right, eighteen Lightning Energy. There's a Peony in this deck. Two Man. iron hands as well. Azul, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, we tried. I we like going into the tournament, we made a turbo hands deck. Um, and it did it was a little bit more turbo than this. It did what it was supposed to, but then it kind of like fizzled out against stuff like Charizard, which I feel like this deck might have like the same problems, but yeah, it's kind of like meta dependent. Like for this meta, it seemed pretty good, especially once you got to day two where Charizard fell off a little bit. Um, but even then, like if Charizard falters for a turn and you get a turn one hands or turn two hands going going first, like they just lose basically, right? Like yeah. you got the right you to back it up. Yeah. So I think that there might be a little bit more. Uh honestly, the more I think about it, yeah, I'm still I, I definitely like like the the slower, I guess slower Maridon deck a little bit more still. Um, there might be something here with the the more turbo build. Um, but I still like the idea of like the bravery charm. Does this, does this one have bravery charms actually? No, one bravery charm. Sorry. One bravery charm. One bravery charm. So I'm a big fan of like bravery charms, but they still got one in there. And I guess maybe the, maybe the big question is just pass versus no pass. Um, this deck doesn't actually like see a lot of cards as well, to be honest. Like you got Billy, 
You got one turn one, that you see a bunch of cards. Yeah, you got one turn you see a bunch of cards, but there is like the Luminion in this build as well to like find those late game bosses to like close out games and stuff. So yeah, I don't know. There's probably a little bit more here than I may be giving it credit for in my, my initial thoughts. But yeah, there's definitely something to try out here. A couple ways to try out Maridon uh, and try and flush him out. I guess most people were like already on like the path plus hands build that kind of like won the tournament. Everyone was trying that. So the more turbo stuff, I think was a little bit more up in the air. But uh, this might be the the starting point for that, right? Take it from here and see uh, see where it goes. But there's definitely something there's definitely something worth trying out here for sure. Turbo 18, 18 uh, lightnings. Those generators better be hidden too, bro. If you whiff a generator in this deck, you're just like, bro, come on, man. <laughs> Give me one. Like, it'd be so tilting to whiff a generator with 18 <laughs> lightnings. <laughs> play this many, like, just seems unreasonable, honestly. Yeah, because like um, the build we were testing had like sixteen, and we, I was hitting like double energy like every single time. Sixteen and two double turbos, right? Yeah, yeah, we had the double turbos. Uh, any other day two decks you want to take a moment to mention as well? Anything else that stood out to you? No, not really. I think that's kind of it. That's all that I saw that uh, was uh, really interesting. Um, yeah, there were still some other things straggling along in here. There was an Arceus deck or two. There was a Zoro box in day two. Not too many Roaring Moons. If you keep scrolling down, you'll find it? a yeah, Lugia or two as well, but. <laughs> the Roaring Moon's at the bottom hanging out with Lugia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, I the guess bottom what... table games were going crazy in day two. <laughs> I think there's one maybe thing to like point out. Is like, is, I, I feel like that's where Lugia belongs, though. Like, this meta seems tough for Lugia. Um, Maridon seems to be like Guardi. Guardi like destroys Lugia now with Screamtail. You just KO yeah. both Archaeops. And then you I own them. You gotta play Manaphy again in Lugia. Yeah, I think you do, because otherwise your Guardian matchup is so hard. Like yeah, yeah, you kinda have to. If you want Lugia to continue playing Lugia, you gotta play you gotta play it. Yeah, I think you just kinda do. Um and your moon matchup was a tough one as well, I think. Um not yeah, I don't terrible, feel like moon like, is honestly that bad. Um it's unfavorable, but it's not I like would play a lot of Snorlax in my deck though. Like yeah. So yeah. I mean no, I guess once we get the Manaphy in there, maybe Lugia has a has a mo can have its moment if if Marauder doesn't get too popular because I feel like that one's still tough for sure. Yeah. Still All right. Well, tough. that is. Oh, I mean, maybe we should mention. It's kind of like a highlight for the weekend for a lot of people. Claw for all, for all the claw believers, this was it. This is what they needed. This was their moment. Is it a real Decazul? I don't think so. I think there's too many things going on, but it's cool. It's a cool deck. Guardi destroys it though. You go Avery Screamtail and their board implodes and they just lose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like, oh man. Yeah. So I would say Cloth is a cool deck, but yeah, I think it's got some. It struggles against uh. Yeah, Gardevoir has to just absolutely smash this deck. The problem is the Averys. If the Gardevoir just didn't play Avery, you'd be fine. You'd probably be fine. Yeah. It's like a one prize deck. You traded back and forth. You're chilling. They hit you with an Avery, and you're like, gosh, discard two, and you're going to take a knockout this turn? <laughs> yeah. I'm cooked, bro. Like, uh, like you got a lot of... Brutal. The B-Barrel is pretty important for, like, the consistent draw power in the deck, for sure. Well, we do need to take a moment here before we get into Guess That Flavor Text to give a quick thank you and shout-out to our amazing sponsor, Dragon Shield, for supporting us here at the Uncommon Energy Podcast. Of course, Dragon Shield make some of the best card gaming and tabletop gaming products and accessories on the market, including sleeves, binders, deck boxes, and so much more. This past weekend, I used a new-ish color, the Justice Dual Mats, which actually felt amazing. I've, um, I've definitely been someone who very much prefers the just regular matte sleeves, but... 
the the dual mats felt awesome this weekend to be honest i'm definitely excited to try some more um of the newer colors of the dual mats because they felt great yeah i'm not gonna lie i am definitely a matte purist love the <laughs> mats um they just feel for me they just feel the best so i was rocking the mats again this weekend uh, and they felt great despite my play not being my play and placement not being great but yeah huge shout out to dragon shield as always for being a sponsor of the podcast you can find them at dragonshield.com slash web shop slash us or you depending on where you're located and of course as always they're available literally everywhere else so go get yourself some dragon shields and with that being said azul it is time for guess that flavor text the segment where each week azul or i picks a card reads the flavor text on it and has the other host try to guess which card which pokemon is featured on said card um if you get it right you get four points and for each if you get it sorry i'm scrolling and trying to like pick a card because i forgot to pick a card and also say this at the same time all right sorry um, you're in there yeah you, you why don't you each, walk yeah, everyone through why don't you walk everyone card, through if what you the get it right Eisel. if you get the pokemon right for the card that it belongs to or the card that it uh the flavor text is read from without using any lifelines you get four points for each lifeline you use you get one less point uh chip is definitely quite a bit ahead of me at this point we kind of lost track um but the three lifelines are what set the card is from what stage of card is and then read an attack name chip have you found yeah i've got one all right chip hit me with this card's flavor text all right it has a strange physiology that responds to electricity electricity when put together with blank blank evolves for some reason so the second blank it's a little weird because there's two blanks in here both of them are names of pokemon yeah the second blank is this pokemon got it so it has a strange physiology that responds to electricity when together with blank, blank evolves for some reason. When it's with a different Pokemon, it evolves. And it has, so it's like an electric Pokemon from what I can gather. I, don't have much, I mean, one of the things I thought about at first was like Minimum Plusle, but they don't evolve. Um, I mean, electric Pokemon, when it comes together with a different Pokemon, so it's a basic, well, probably. Well, its physiology responds uh, to electricity. Okay, sure, sure, sure. Um, oh, okay, true. So I guess it could be. Oh, is there any Pokemon out there that are like friends with electric Pokemon? I don't actually know. All right, what set is the card from? It is from Fusion Strike. Fusion Strike. I mean, thinking of electric Pokemon in Fusion Strike, Toxel is one of them, right? I think Toxel. One of them. Give me uh, an attack name. I'm assuming this is like just going to be a basic, so I'm just going like, to lock that in. And have to go for two points here. So give me an attack name. The attack is Spit Beam. Spit Beam. Well, it's not Toxel, I don't think. Spit Beam. Give me the flavor text one more time. It has a strange physiology that responds to electricity when together with blank, blank evolves for some reason. Dude, I have no clue on this one. It's not Toxel. Pokemon, when it's with another Pokemon, it evolves and it responds to electricity. Um, 
dude i've this and it's from fusion strike it's from fusion strike i don't know what is a pokemon that evolves from fusion strike i don't even know oh let's go with uh uh it can't be it i'm just I've, i just have thought of a pokemon that evolves that is in fusion strike so i'm just gonna go with it we're going with dreepy oh azul <laughs> So close. Thinking of all the random basic Pokemon that have been played with Mew VMAX that evolved. Oh, no. Is it, we got to give a little bit of homage and shout-outs to our American friends who chose to play this bad boy in no! their decks this weekend. Oh, the Shelmet? The good old oh Shelmet from gosh. Fusion Strike. Dude. Well, and the Pokemon that it has to be with is Carablast. When it's together with Carablast, uh, Shelmet evolves for some reason. That's one that I think a lot of listeners probably got pretty quick. Is that a thing in the video game that like happens? Yeah. Oh, I guess like yeah, to get your Excel Gore, you need. Yep. Together. All right. Well, the more you know, Shelmet evolves when it's with Carablast. <laughs> <laughs> and look, he is using Spitbeam in the card. True, and is also using Spitbeam. <laughs> I saw the picture uh, was Pr- Patricia Walsh posted on Twitter. She got donked by Spitbeam in yeah. round one. <laughs> it, it was against one of them. I don't know if it was Xander, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Spitbeam donk. That's got to be like the worst donk in the history of the game. Yeah, that's got to be rough, bro. You show up to your round. You're like, all right, if they hit me with a Meloetta, whatever. They Spitbeam you and you're like, come on, man. Ah. Like, this deck sucks. How'd I lose to this terrible deck? What the heck? (laughs) Get up, go to the next round. All right, well, all that being said, let's move on to the rest of the show where we are going to talk about how the meta kind of changes and evolves. There's two regional championships this weekend, Gdansk and Brisbane. We can try to come up with some predictions, I guess, as well. We should do that. Um, We didn't talk about that beforehand, but we should do that. And then... A little bit unprepared this time, I guess. Around, <laughs> I didn't even remember also, that we were doing the podcast tonight. <laughs> like that was like yeah. I texted me, I was like, oh, we yeah. normally for everyone who doesn't know, like we normally record around like nine p.m. ish Eastern time the night before it comes out. And I texted Azul tonight at like nine thirty. I was like, "Hey yo, what time you want to do the podcast?" And he just said, "Whenever." I was like, "Yeah, he definitely forgot." Yeah, I did forget. Yeah, but did remember just just enough in time to actually do it. Um. And then, uh, yeah, so we got the two regionals this weekend. Of course, tons of cups and stuff happening um, with the new set legal. A lot of people are going to have their first chance to play with the new set. You know, people who didn't go play at the internationals, uh, they're going to be playing their locals and have the first chance to to play with the cards. They're going to be playing at their closer regionals and having a chance to play with the cards. And they have some results to go off of now. We've got the results from LAIC. What kind of impact are we expecting? Do you think that the meta for these two regionals is going to be similar to what we've seen at LAIC? Um, I think we'll... Actually, that's tough, to be honest. I feel like Guardi... The thing is, like, it's tough because it is just, like, a week separation. And I was kind of, like, talking about this and thinking about this recently, which is kind of the development of the meta over, like, the last six tournaments or how many ever tournaments we had in the last format, like, why things evolved the way they did. And I think a lot of people not that many people will change their decks um a lot of people like were preparing with their decks going into this weekend the people who didn't go to LASC who are only going to Gdansk and only going to Brisbane or even if they did go to LASC and then are now going to Brisbane or now going to Gdansk they probably aren't going to change either right so I think the meta will probably be pretty similar to LASC 
I think some people will try and adjust around it and be like, okay, how do I, how can I just kind of body guardy? Um, and we might see, we'll probably see an uptick in Entei and maybe even Maridon. Um, but then is it, is it, are the guardy players actually going to drop guardy is kind of the question, or will they do stuff like add the Jirachi? Um, yeah. I think we'll probably see a lot of people add the Jirachi. Yeah. But, um, you know, how many people will, will drop guardy? I guess it's going to be more so. I don't think that many will. Like, I, I think if, People are probably going to play what they had already been prepping to play. And I think that is usually smart for the majority of people. Um, there's probably some players who they are definitely good enough to maybe like make that adjustment. Um, but it even feels like in the current day and age of Pokemon, even like the best players who are capable of being like, eh, I'm going to pick up this deck the night before the tournament. Just don't do that anymore. Um, or as much as I felt like I felt like they used to, to be honest. So, um, and would also like be able to play well with the deck. So I feel like it's probably going to be pretty similar. That'd be my guess. Maybe like, I feel like maybe specifically, I would guess that Charizard is not going to be as popular, but I think Guardi will probably still be number one. And then everything else under that is going to fall to like similar, similar uh, play rates. Yeah, I could see Charizard dropping a bit. I think it'll still be like in the top few decks. Um, maybe one of the bigger questions is kind of like, where does Roaring Moon stand? It was like kind of this massive force when the set first came out online, fell off a little bit, was still one of the top, what was it, fourth most played deck in LAIC? Yep. But like it's fourth Didn't most played, but super like, well, like, but been does fifth. decently against the things that did well at LAIC, right? Besides Gardevoir. Well, yeah, it did again. Well, it did well against literally like the top two most played decks. But even then, like Warren Moon's like not, or I think Warren Moon is probably good. There's like team solid to Maridon, but it's like end day matchup is a little bit closer. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think Moon will probably uh, if the if the meta was this bad for Roy and Moon, the meta can only get better for it, right? It can't get worse, so it'll either be neutral or better. So I think it'll go it'll get better for Moon, but like I don't think to the point where all of a sudden a ton of people are going to pick up Roy and Moon because like, it still feels like it's not that good of a deck in general in the meta. Um, doesn't matter how much better it's going to maybe get. So I don't think Moon is like that much better of a play or any, it'll, it's better but like not to the point where like you should be like yo this is the play you should just definitely learn how to play roaring moon in the next week yeah. drop everything you know call out of work call out of school if you, you're gonna get a dub if you grind the moon definitely not that kind of play for sure what about one of the other new cards the iron hands so only one person in all of the top eight cut had iron hands in their deck Juho did win the tournament with the Iron Hands. The hands. I mean, I think we'll see more Maridon. Um, I guess Chimpao. Like, there's only two hand stacks, right? That's Maridon it. And <laughs> well, I don't think we'll see more Chimpao. Although I could be wrong on that. There were people playing it in Lost Box things, right? It's only good in Chimpao and Maridon. I don't think we'll see it. <laughs> Any more Chi and Pao? Like ten percent is maybe Chi and Pao's cap, um, but Marino should get more popular. But like, yeah, but like, but because there's only really two decks that hands is good in so far that have been kind of discovered, um, and I can't think of one that would like all of a sudden pop out of nowhere and actually be good. So I think we're kind of locked in on just like, yeah, hands is going to be it's going to be there, but it's like, yeah, and you, I think you should have to beat you want to you want to make sure your deck can handle hands, right? Yeah. So if your deck just auto loses to just a hands being attacking turn two, you probably shouldn't play your deck, but. Besides that, I think I'm a, pretty much every deck can can handle the hand, so don't be too worried about him. Do you think Lost Box is going to get more popular? People can maybe go off Brendan Cameron's list a little bit, and I mean Lost Box not including like Lost Tina, right? Yeah, I think yes. Um, 
because we there's like I said, there's a lot of players who didn't go. Well, there is a lot of players who didn't go to LAIC who will now be at these tournaments, um, and they've been cooking. You know, who knows what they've been cooking? We're about to find out what they've been cooking. And <laughs> Lost Zone now, like Lost Zone decks are definitely better when the meta is known. Um, because there's so many things you can play with Lost Zone decks that um, there's so many things you can play with Lost Zone decks that you kind of, it, it's nice to kind of know what's going on before you show up with your 60 cards, right? So I think like as a meta develops, Lost Zone gets more powerful for sure. Now, if everyone decides to just roll up with Jirachi and their Guardi decks and their Charizard decks, no matter what you kind of roll up with, it's going to be tough. Um, going counter catch or cram KO Jirachi isn't a very powerful play in a loss zone deck, so you don't want to be doing that uh, every single round. But <clears throat> if you have to, I guess you will be. But yeah, I think it does get more popular, or like actually, maybe not more popular because like it was still uh, actually we don't know how what its day one percentage was, do we? Of I think loss box now. Yeah, I think it'll be more successful because like there was one in top eight, but there was one in top eight, and then you have to scroll down to yeah. 30th place to find the next one. So I think Lost Box will probably be more successful overall this weekend, would be my guess. Because it didn't have like a standout performance to the point where it's like, oh my gosh, I got to put Jirachi and everything. Um, but maybe and this Mar- is the Iron Hands Lost Box list as well. They got top 32. Yeah. I mean, maybe Entei does that for the deck though. Maybe Entei is like, okay, well, now you got to. That's like a turn one Iron Hands build right there, too. We are turn one hands in with that build for four sure. Four Pokestop, four Lost <laughs> Vacuum. Vac- Yo, the turn one hands coming through. Guardi this is kind of hot, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> there's some turn There's some turn one Sableye potential there as well, to be honest. This deck looks sick. This deck is pretty sick. The turn one hands. <clears throat> yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, all right, maybe I take back what I said about Lost Box and hands. Maybe there's <laughs> Um. Yeah, I think Lost Box will be more successful this weekend because I don't think, eh, I don't know. I guess if like there's builds like this, like this build doesn't care about Jirachi as much, right? It just hands in them. So, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, Lost Box is in a fine spot. A little more popular, probably a little bit more success as well. Turn one hands. One thing I definitely think is true is like people should respect Snorlax, right? But then it becomes that whole game of like, the Snorlax players know people are going to respect Snorlax, so nobody's really going to play Snorlax. I feel like that's not true. I feel like it never goes to that level. The Snorlax players are always going to play Snorlax. <laughs> yeah, that, they're going to be there. Fair, it's honestly. just whether or not you're going to make the correct play of respecting it. If your deck can respect it, you shouldn't like overextend to make your deck bad to respect a deck that you can't respect with like one card. But I think if like, you're, play, you're playing Guardi or something, you probably want to play the Turo. I think like you that. should play something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that if, makes sense if you can comfortably, if you can comfortably, Dude, everyone in our Fox, group hit a Snorlax man, which is so like unbelievably <laughs> cringe, honestly. Yeah. If you can respect, if your deck can comfortably respect Snorlax, I would, I would do it this weekend. Like I would play a card if I felt like I, if there was a card to include for sure. I don't think uh, like for, yeah, I definitely would. Uh, it does feel like evolving decks should maybe be a little scared right now, right? Between the Entei Iron Valiant deck, between the Iron Hands decks that maybe people are building these things to attack really fast, right? Double turbos in their Maridons or 18 energies or four lost vacuums, right? Like people are trying to attack with Iron Hands as fast as possible. Uh, and then even like something like Rapid Strike popping back up. Yeah, so, I would even say like Chi and Pao, like that's like another deck where it's like they can turn two hands, you have to go first. And also if you prize Manaphy, they Greninja you, right? So um, it's even like another yeah. deck. I, I don't know if, that's a good question. Like, should they be scared? Guardies maybe want to add the Jirachi. So maybe can... it's like this first weekend was like 
okay, people are maybe a little overreacting to Iron Hands, but maybe this is when people are really going to start pulling out the hands stuff, the like crazy turbo hands type things is going to be these next couple weeks. People are going to be experimenting a little more, seeing how the meta has shaped up. Oh, there is a ton of evolving decks. I'm going to hands on turn one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe that's what we see. Actually, that's like thinking about that a little bit more. How does Lice get figured out a way? I was like, yeah, the, the turn one lost box deck. Uh, what happens when you get hands? <laughs> I guess you dragon item. Item. Dragon yeah, item. you got a dragon item they might just win the prize trade off that that was actually good idea yeah that's kind of funny um yeah um it maybe but the thing is like i feel like it could be a scary it could definitely be a scary event this is where like it's i could see this weekend of events because like i said it's it's really hard to change decks with it coming up this weekend right so i don't think anyone's gonna really be changing decks well yeah but the that majority means, yeah, yeah but but i feel like yeah but i feel like I could see evolving decks getting just get bodied. Like I could see that. You're saying the majority of these players weren't there, is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that but are they changing they're not changing decks? So like if this percentage of players were playing Guardian Charizard, why wouldn't that percentage be true for the other places in the world where these because players there's weren't different people, bro? Well, no, but like well, that's just not how that works. Like if if Guardian is just a twenty percent meta deck in general, it doesn't matter where you go, it's gonna probably just be a twenty percent meta deck in general. So like the, well, it totally be matters night. because there's a million variables, and the variables are the people. No, but the there players. is. But the, but Lugib was thirty percent of so many tournaments in a row pre-rotation. It didn't matter where you went. Those things are like pretty consistently predictable. Guardi will probably be the most the most popular deck at Brisbane and Gdansk. Like that's not, that's that's super reasonable. What sure. I was gonna say is I think it is reasonable to actually is it is reasonable to actually think about. Uh, evolution decks could just get destroyed this weekend. Like, Guardi might show up as being the most popular deck at both these tournaments and, like, have none in top 16 or something like that. I could see that actually happening. Um, Similar might to lean... the LAIC Lugia effect of last year, right? Yeah, people might lean really heavily into the turn one hand stuff, the Ente Valiant, Maridon hands, like, all that stuff might be leaned into really heavily and just obliterate all of this, um, yeah, all this stuff, all these evolution decks, the, the Chien Pao's, the Charizard's, the the guardies but yeah I, I mean like i said like i don't think like it's a different part of the world but like everyone was testing up to these last two weeks and like a one week difference isn't like a really enough time for i think a, that it's a little different here though i i understand what you're saying but like i think it's a little different here because it's a new meta right like we don't know that those people were on the same page as those people who are preparing for laic right i don't know why it would be that much different though we're all just trying to prep for pokemon tournaments I don't know, man. I think we saw that as like a consistent variable, though. Like throughout, you just see that as a consistent variable throughout formats. Though it's like when you go from uh, one weekend to the next, generally, um, the, like the the most popular decks are still going to be the same, right? Like Lugia is still going to be th like we saw that kind of at LAIC into Toronto. Lugia was still by far the most popular deck, but it got destroyed overall, right? The top eight was like Duraludon, the Mewtwo control deck from Piper. Uh, Articuno uh, paralysis deck from Charlie. Like, there was there's the popularity of the decks maintained, but what actually did well changed because enough people like adapted to what was obviously going to be the most popular decks, right? Yeah, we could see something similar. Like, Guardi's still going to be the most popular deck at all these tournaments, but now we might be seeing a lot more uh, Iron or Iron Valentes in top eight because of that. Sure. Um, where do you feel like Chien Pao kind of sits, right? Like, overall, I mean, it's uh... the deck we played for the tournament. Yeah. Overall, didn't do the best. Ian Rob was in top 16 with it. Yeah. 
I mean, I think it's still pretty good. I think it has like some fears of stuff like Iron Valley and Entei, though. Like, it depends how popular that kind of stuff is going to be because that's definitely tough. That's a tough deck to beat. Should people the... play the bundle? Yes, <laughs> the bundle. In my opinion, in the current meta, I mean, it's stuff could change in the meta, but the bundle is effectively four cross switchers. Like, it does exactly everything the same thing that it does the same thing cross switchers do in the deck is give me a Pokemon off your bench that I can KO for two prize cards, and pretty much in every single situation in every single matchup, bundle gives you two prize cards for your hands or your chi and pow just don't bench one before you use the bundle use bundle first and then after what they send up you bench the hands or the chi and pow and then it gets two prize cards like Bibzard or bibzard uh i still lean on the bibzard a little bit more because i just don't like for the guardy matchup specifically i mean if guardy goes away then then pidgeyzard might be the better way to go but even then even up against like this more aggressive stuff like the valiance Iron Valiant. I think it's really it's a lot easier to set up a B barrel for draw support than it is to set up a Pidgeot for draw support. Like if your Bidoof dies, it's easier to get to a B barrel. If your Pidgey dies, it's a lot harder to get to a Pidgeot. Dude, Pedro played against four Mew. Five Mew. Five Mew. Five Mew. What the heck? Yeah, what is that? That's so many Mew. Oh man, smokes. William played against a lot of Tina. A lot of Tinas. That's always felt like a, a pretty tough matchup, but yeah, you uh, do have a little the, bit of going the, back and uh, forth. Jirachi now, which is helpful, but yeah, it can help. Yeah, that helps a decent amount. I don't know if that, like swings it, but it might be enough to be honest. It takes it from like a pretty terrible matchup to like a very like manageable one, though. Definitely, for sure. Definitely switches it up a decent amount. All right, and then uh, the last kind of question we had written down here was, does Maridon become a top three deck again? So at the start of last format, or I guess post-Worlds, Maridon was like pretty consistently a top three deck. Then it started to kind of wane off, fall off a little bit throughout the last few tournaments of the format, became like a fifth, sixth place deck on the MetaShare charts. Do you expect to see it jump back up into the top three spots in either of the two tournaments this weekend? Um... Maybe I could dance. I was talking about Brisbane, but dude, they're just Pokemon. People are trying to win. Isn't the meta just the same? It maybe I could dance. That's all you're getting from me, Chip. Okay, <laughs> maybe I could dance. That's it. That's all I got. Uh, and real quick, I did write down just a couple predictions. If you have another one you want to throw in, let me know. Um, geez, all right, that first one is kind of wild. <laughs> well, there's two tournaments. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right, go ahead and read it. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Iron Hand. So we've got two tournaments here. So across the two tournaments that are taking place, there will be two different top eights. What is the number of Iron Hands decks in top eight of the two tournaments? Over under set at 4.5. So basically more than two a piece average or less than two a piece average. Over is under at 4.5. Question... I think the question here is, is will Gardevoir get destroyed or not? Is the question. How good of a tournament is Gardevoir going to have? And I kind of want Gardevoir to have a bad tournament. So I'm going to say over 4.5. Over 4.5. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go with smells. the under here uh, because I think it might lean more towards the two. Maybe we're, maybe it's a little too early for it to be like the super heavy two prize meta with like the Entes and the. Roaring Moons popping back off, but so this would like if someone plays two Iron Hands in a deck, this that counts as two, right? No, 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 no. 
Wait, wait. You said Iron Hands in top eight. Iron Hand. I did. With I Iron think Hand. when I said it, I, I just, dude, I'm just writing stuff down quickly here on the little document. <laughs> I think when I said it, I said Iron Hands decks. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll stay with you over, I guess. <clears throat> and then, I mean, I guess this question kind of goes along with it, right? Uh, partially, yeah. at least. Will Gardevoir win one of the two tournaments this weekend? It's the most popular deck right now in the meta, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what tournament you're playing in, the meta is the same. So most popular deck, Gardevoir. Will it uh, win one of these two tournaments? Not when there's over 4.5 hands in the top cut. Gardevoir ain't getting <laughs> they, no they dubs on these hands. These so I'm questions. going, no. <laughs> Gardevoir's not getting the win. Yeah, and honestly, hands isn't like that ridiculously good against Gardevoir, but it definitely is like would prefer to see less hands and more hands. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm also going to go with no um <laughs> even though i think there might be a little bit less yeah. hands i just think there's like maybe gonna be some more of the rapid strike stuff the entai stuff things that are just a little too tough for gardevoir to deal with and then also throw the hands into the mix as well i don't know i mean you say the like hands. hands doesn't always beat gardevoir and it definitely doesn't always beat it but it is it's good against it yeah it's always pretty good i was watching the uh seniors top four games play out because i was watching my uh, one of my students and juniors play out top four uh, Sunday morning because they play in the morning before the finals happen. Uh, and I watched Gabriel play against someone in top four. And he, in game two, I think it was, just literally went turn one going second, iron hands for two prizes. And then on the nice. next turn, she was playing Gardevoir. She went mirage step. <laughs> <laughs> and the that just felt back. pretty tough. <laughs> like, yeah. When you get the turn one hands, it's uh, then you're really cooking. Then it's happening. Things are happening. Yeah. And you got any other prediction we want to throw out there? There's only two. Um, we could. Well, what about will control make top eight? Are people going to respect okay, the sure. control? What do you think? At either of the two tournaments. Either of the two tournaments will a control make? Wait, Lysander including like count. Snorlax Sit stall, right? Lysander doesn't count. It's just Snorlax stall. <laughs> Sander's not rolling up with Snorlax stall and will probably make top eight at Kadansk. So no, bro, come on, it's no, gotta Sander, be. No, Sander doesn't it. count. No, Sander, Sander uh, will will non-Sander control. Well, yeah, if Sander rolls up with, with Snorlax stall, then that's when well, we can include Sander. But Sander, I think probably was okay, gonna roll. So with will else Snorlax different. stall make top eight? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna go with. Oh, good of a. Yeah, if I'm predicting the other things, then I think I have to go with no as well, to be honest. Wow. Like, yeah, I think I got to go with no. Copycat. Yeah, I don't believe in Lostina making, doing well enough to stop Snorlax. So, yeah, that's definitely a bad matchup for Snorlax. But if it's not going to exist because it's not going to make day two, then, yeah, we got to go with... Uh, um, oh, then I guess I would say yes, though. I guess I'm kind of contradicting myself then. All right, we're locking it in. Snorlax stall will make top eight because Lostina's bad. Lock him in. Get him in there. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm saying no. I think Gardevoirs are going to respect it. Uh, other decks will find ways to respect it too. And I think the biggest thing too is like, even if your deck has like on paper a bad matchup, like I think on paper Chien Pao has like a not good Snorlax stall matchup, but you have definitely can beat it. I think yeah. like that is going to be the difference here is like people will have a better game plan now knowing they should respect snorlax so even if your deck doesn't have a good matchup 
know how to beat yeah. know know what your outs are going in yeah it's kind of funny like if the like if you just draw well enough as any deck you just beat snorlax stall like if you just draw really well as champau yeah i mean like, if you draw really well and they draw really bad you beat like whatever they're playing like if you got well no, no even if they draw well like they get you know turn one quad snorlax down if you're just like knockout 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 and never draw into a bad basic uh you just win or like you don't draw to, they never hit any of your superiors off of misfortune sisters like doesn't matter how many songs they got in play doesn't matter if you can't ko their rotom like i got their active every single time sometimes like just they won't have the yeah, they just don't get the stuff basically the invitation play is the biggest one i guess like if you just right. never draw into bidoof like if bidoof just chills you chill chills at the bottom of the deck yeah or if any time he hits your hand you get to play an iono or something right yeah exactly or just like ultra ball super brought it back <clears throat> the stall all right well that is going to do it for us this week thanks so much to everyone for listening as always if you did enjoy please be sure to leave us a rating a review on whatever platform you're listening on it helps us out a ton lets us know you're enjoying the content and helps more people find the podcast if you want to stay up to date with all the happenings for myself and azul and the podcast the best place to do it is over on x.com the website formerly known as twitter you can follow myself at chipperchi azul at azul underscore gg and then you can also follow the podcast at uncommon underscore energy yeah appreciate the support as always uh go look everyone going to brisbane and gdansk is that how you say it? gdansk 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 it sounds like that's like uh, it just sounds like a like when you like change a word to make it kind of meme uh, <laughs> like, yeah. like throw a b at the beginning of it yeah basically <laughs> yeah badansk look everyone <laughs> going to brisbane brisbane and badansk we'll brisbane catch you all and next wednesday 7 a.m eastern peace